The most popular spectator sport in America is not the Super Bowl or the Olympics or the World Series or the heavyweight championship. It's the beauty pageant. From the moment she's born, every girl is eligible. All it takes is a pretty face, a little talent, a lot of luck, and a great big smile. Smile, though your heart is aching. Smile, smile the story of a teenage beauty pageant. The girls who enter it, the people who run it, and what it does to a small American town. Just be yourselves and keep smiling. I know y'all came to see a whale of a show, and a whale of a show it is. Wow, any real lookers this year? Oh, you men. Our club has spent a lot of time and money trying to help these young people become responsible adults. Rotting maggots of death. Everything counts up here. Your grades, your personality, the judges' conference. Select a girl that you would be proud to have as your own daughter. What would you do if your best friend was unwed and pregnant? Excuse me? Could you tell us why you think you'd like to go into missionary work? I like helping people. That's what this game is all about. I want to be a veterinarian or a nun. You didn't jump up and down enough when Miss Woodland won. Beauty contest judges like their emotions big. I've smiled so much my gums are raw. Well, put some Vaseline on your teeth. It, it helps your... <laughs> Listen to me. It helps your lips glide You're over You're kidding them. me. No. All the girls do it. I can see why you want to help these girls. They seem very, uh, worthwhile. Oh, my God! Right on, son. We're not really competing with each other. We're more friends. We have faith. We have hope. <laughs> now, if you just keep smiling, you can win. Smile, what's the use of crying? It's every parent's hope and every girl's dream to be all an American girl should be and wear that winning smile. Just smile. Hi, everybody. Welcome to 70 Movies We Saw in the 70. My name is Ben Reiser. Uh, next to me, not really, but virtually, is Mr. Scott Lucas of everyone's favorite rock band, Local H. If they're Hi. Not, if they're not your favorite rock band, it's only because you are not listening. It's beyond me, man. And so for the first time since Scott Lucas joined the fold here at 70 Movies, we've got guests in the house. And not just one, right. but d- two. First of all... Triple threat, Pat Healy, writer, director, actor extraordinaire. I wish I, sh- I should have I should have grabbed that Mike McPadden intro that he did for you that for the first time uh, in the seventies. That, that was fun. It was like Mike's Gilbert intro that he gave me. 
Yeah, it was beautiful. Wait, are we in four different states? No, we're in three different states, right? Three. Yeah, well, that's pretty Jim good. And I are, Jim and I are joined at the hip. So speaking of yeah. Jim, our, sec- our second guest tonight is the director of programming for UW Cinematheque and the upcoming Wisconsin Film Festival, my pal Jim Healy. Hey. Wow. And Great also, to be here that's also you. Pat's brother. So there you go. Well, I'm Jim's brother. More like yes, that. and he's mine. And Pat, where are you? I am in, the fuck is the name of this town? I have, to, I have to look it up again. I'm in Oklahoma. Why are you in Oklahoma? I'm in Oklahoma uh, getting ready to start shooting The Killers of the Flower Moon with Mr. Martin Scorsese. Holy shit. Scott, you into this Scorsese guy? I am a Scorsese guy, yeah. He's my hero. Uh, I'm very jealous of you right now. Me too. This is... Uh, this is sort of my dream, you know. So, uh, Jim and I, uh, we had seen a couple of his movies, but uh, the summer <laughs> before I, no, we had seen a few. We had oh, seen well, Alice okay. Doesn't Live Here Anymore and The King of Comedy, but then the summer before I started high school, the summer of 85, we got our first VCR, and that's when we saw Taxi Driver and New York, New York and Raging Bull and uh, seven, And then seven. And then af- After Hours hit theaters around that time, and that's that was right. the one that really kind of, later. kind of blew our minds. Yeah. So yeah. so this is pretty yeah. Some you know, thirty five, thirty six years later, here here I am getting ready. Congratulations! To Thank you, Scorsese and Absolutely. De Niro, Mr. De Niro as well. So oh my God, that's right. Yeah, and Mr. DiCaprio. So oh. have you ever worked Dude. with any of those guys before? Have you worked no, with you know, I wrote a movie for uh, Tribeca for De Niro's company and HBO Films. Uh, God. About eight years ago, something like that, and I did meet him once and spoke to him and spoken to him on the phone. But uh, no, I haven't worked with any of them. I've worked with Jesse Plemons, who is is in this, who I've yeah. been working with a lot before. But uh, I, uh, yeah, no, this is a, this is a lot of lot of bucket lists. If if I suddenly drop dead after this, you, you know, it's just because it's, it's meant to be. Yeah, well, that's so cool. You did Spielberg a couple of years ago, which was yeah, mind blowing. That was that was Spielberg with Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks, yeah. And uh, was that the Post? Yeah, dude, that movie's great. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Thank you. Me too. Um, And uh, yeah, you know, a lot of lot of bucket lists getting checked off. Maybe it's a Final Destination style uh, murder in my (laughs) near future. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I just want to say what a big fan I am of. Henry Gamble's birthday party as well. Oh yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah. Ben, you almost interrupted him from complimenting me. What's wrong with you? <laughs> so sorry, I'm sorry. Come on. And um, Scott Keep Lucas coming, again pulls, pulls something out of his hat that I had no idea. Yeah, was. that's a good movie. Stephen Cohn. He's a really talented guy. Yeah. You know that is the only time I have returned to Chicago for work since I left in 1998, which is crazy if you think about it. Right? Yeah. I don't think I've done anything else. I came back once, like a month after I left to do a TV show that I already been cast in. But yeah, that's the only time I've been back in Chicago to film anything. Come back more often. I know. Well, I'm usually there every year. Last year was an exception. I think I will be there this year, so. Oh, just to film anything. Right, right, right. Yeah, right, no, right. I, I come, you know, personally, you know, make an appearance. So, Pat, I've been watching you, uh, like, through my fingers uh, on this new Amazon Prime show, Them, which I you can... And, you and me both. 
that. Uh, holy moly, talk about intense. Yeah, is I it can't, good? I, I've been. I can't get but through about one at a time at, at best, uh, spaced apart by several days. I, I I was wondering if it was good. I, I, this is the first time hearing about it. I just saw something today, and I was like, "Them." Hmm. I think it's good. It's just it's very uh, intense. Yeah, it sounds good. It, it's Great. it kicks in a minute one and then never lets up. Yeah, as far as as far as I've seen so far, I've only seen yeah, the first three episodes. But um, yeah, yeah I can only yeah, do no, one a day. Episode five is where the uh, where the the weed is separated from the chaff, or the the men are separated <laughs> from the boys. I guess you're either in or you're out. Well, I'd love to see a TV show that doesn't have anything to do with superheroes. I, I'm, I'm looking for one. So if, yeah, if I don't, this is... I don't think there are any. No, I know. I don't think there are any superheroes in this. All right. Well, that would be nice. Well, let's keep getting in our plugs, which we never do on this show. So Pat's got them. He's about to do the new Martin Scorsese. He's also, you, Run is still showing on Hulu, right? That was the last yes. one that I saw you in front of them. Great um, little bad, movie. Bad Education, which is on HBO. Oh, yeah. HBO yes. Max. Yes. Uh, and Cheap Dixon on Station 19. Yes, I return actually well, tonight. or wait, what, is, what is tonight? This week, I don't know when this is airing. So the week of the the fifteenth of uh, April, two week. Uh, I'll be on this week and on next week as well. Station uh, nineteen. Which network is that on? That is on the American Broadcasting Corporation, the ABC nice. network. Nice. Usually, channel seven in your local municipalities. <laughs> or you can watch it on Hulu the next day on Friday. Ooh, maybe I'll do that. Or rent it on your Amazon Primes, your your iTunes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Fantastic! It's almost I've hard also not written to a novel. That. No, <laughs> it's like you have to you act actively try to avoid Pat Healy on your TV screen these days. Yeah, it's getting annoying. We are, we are getting a lot of. I've just been texting with because um, you know them is about racism in the in the nineteen fifties, and yeah. so uh, I, myself and all the other white actors play racists. And uh, we are getting yeah. uh, deluged with messages online that are of hate and Ooh. terrible uh, people who don't know the difference between TV and real life. So if any of those people are listening to this, please stop. It's just acting. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Was it? Uh, yeah. How was it on set at them? Was it tough? Terrible. <laughs> I mean, it's just brutal. It's just brutal. It's just not fun, you know. It's not funny and it's not fun. <laughs> but uh, it, it came out well, so, you know. Yeah. People keep saying, you know, well, you get paid a lot of money to do that. So, and it's like, no, you'd be surprised. Well, speaking of something that hasn't been fun, but will be fun in the end, uh, Jim and I are wrapping up our prep work for this year's Wisconsin Film Festival, which is going to be an online-only affair this year, which is... Sad in most ways, but nice in a few ways in that um, people outside the Madison area can join in. You can watch uh, most of the movies we're going to be showing from wherever you happen to be. Um, Passes are already on sale. Tickets go on sale for individual films on May 1st. And you can do all that at wifilmfest.eventive.org. May 13th through 20th. Bartlesville, that's the name of the town I'm in. Bartlesville, Oklahoma. I just remembered it. Sorry. You might want to just take that and plug it into where I said I don't know what town I'm in. All right. Okay. I'll do that. 
Didn't want to forget again. Um, And then finally, speaking of plugs, uh, Scott Lucas, as I mentioned before, is in this band Local H. I thought you were Um, talking about my hair. Yeah, hair plugs. (laughs) That's what I was thinking of, too. Um, Yeah. Speaking of plugs. But Local H, a band that was not going to get beaten by COVID no matter what, they've just announced a rescheduled tour promoting their latest release, Lifers, which kicks ass, and that tour kicks off August 31st in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, at everyone's favorite Shank Hall. I'll be there with bells on. An indoor concert? It's happening. It's really nice. happening. That's great. The confidence is high, so we'll see how it goes. But before that, you've got a drive-in show in Schaumburg, right? That's right. May 22nd. I think we're going to do an alien theme. Oh, yeah. Like, we couldn't, at the Wisconsin Film Festival, get into any drive-ins, but local H. What's a drive-in show in Schaumburg? Is that like on the streets of Woodfield? No, no it's, uh, it's, it's in a parking lot outside of a uh, uh, baseball field. Oh, okay. Um, and... You know, they set up a screen and behind us. We'd sort of do like a put drive-in movies on behind us and just play. And it's it's an alternative. I grew to, up on the streets, the streets of Woodfield. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the mean streets of Woodfield. <laughs> yeah. Wait, Scott, are they are yes. they showing it? Are they showing Alien after your set that night? No, no. What what will happen is we'll probably put together bunch of stuff from different alien movies um it's either gonna be that or a bunch of kubrick movies i I don't know we did we did drive-in movies last year like uh dirty mary and you know stuff like that um death race 2000 so we'll probably do something different this year but we haven't quite figured it out but since the poster has that sort of alien vibe maybe we'll go that way i can dress up as ripley you gents have a connection that I don't know if you're aware of, and I wasn't going to bring it up because there wasn't any real reason to, but I just found out from Scott that the podcast that he and I do, aside from this one, which is called Lifers, and is more about music and all the people that Scott has known throughout the years and people who've made music their lifelong, uh, uh, what, business passion. And, and play passion. Thank you. Raison d'etre. <laughs> yeah, but tomorrow night we're doing a show, and Scott just told me who our special guest is. Scott, tell them who's on Lifers tomorrow night. Mike Shannon. That oh, makes nice. sense that you would oh. know. Yeah, I was going to ask you. Old friend of mine. Started yeah. in theater together. I mean, he, he's younger than me, but he actually started a few years before me, around the same time. Uh, I met him in 1994, early 1994. Yeah, so yeah. that's what is that, 27 years ago or something? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I met him the next year in, uh, or maybe it was early 96, I think. He gave me a an unfiltered cigarette, a lucky strike. And I was spitting tobacco out of my mouth the whole night. I had seen him in the play Killer Joe, which was just, you know, that was the thing that everybody was talking about when it came to town in and uh you know, late 93, early 94, I came to do a, an internship at Steppenwolf Theater. And uh, everyone's like, you got to see this guy. He's amazing. He's, you know, and Mike was 19, I think. And uh, I was 21. And I said, I don't see this guy. I'm that guy. So then yeah. I go to see the show and I'm just like, holy shit, that guy's just, 
uh, uh, you know, next level, amazing. So I wanted to meet him, and I, you know, I knew I didn't know him, but I knew a lot of people who did. And um, eventually, I was at a party, and someone who knew that I was looking to meet him said, "Do you want to meet Mike Shannon?" And I said, "Yeah." And they said, "He's right over there." And I looked over on a couch, and Mike was laying fully, you know, his full body laid out on a couch with a clear plastic bag over his head, inhaling. <laughs> that was my introduction to him. I didn't introduce myself to him that night. We ended up we ended up working together at, at a play, uh, not that long after that. But yeah, that was my first uh, in person impression of him. It's a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah. I share a couple frames with Mike in the short film that Pat wrote, directed, and co-starred in with Mike called Mullet. Yep. Mm-mm. Scott, how did you first meet Michael Shannon? Uh, I think we played a show together at Double Door. It was um, it was a fundraiser for Red Orchid Theater, um, and I think he had just started doing Boardwalk Empire. So you know, it was the Scorsese thing, and I cornered him and asked him a bunch of Scorsese questions, made him do a Scorsese impersonation. Um, yeah, that was the first time. Well, okay, I think I've. <laughs> I think I've introed the fuck out of everything. But uh, I should say we're doing, we're talking about Smile tonight. And I will say this, we're we're talking about Smile uh, because I love this movie. Uh, it's been a part of my life since, I don't know, mid-70s. Uh, I guess late 70s. Probably wouldn't have gone on TV until 77, maybe? Yeah, probably 77, 78. I remember seeing it then and then watching it. The second time when it was broadcast, too. Right. Yeah. I, I don't remember seeing it until I was in high school. I don't think I saw it in the 70s, but I, I saw it, I think, probably around that same time we got the VCR in, in 85 for the first time. I definitely remember playing it in, the, in the, the ABC promos, which surely had to be introduced by Ernie Anderson. Tonight. Uh, tonight on the ABC movie. Um she always showed the clip of the of the girl singing the Abba Dabba Honeymoon song, mm-hmm. and I thought that was hilarious. And and uh, still yeah. is, yeah. I I that is hilarious. But every time I see it now, I can't get past Delta Dawn. That's my that's my yeah. Favorite. Yeah, I have, that's I have Delta Dawn written down in bold here in my notes. That's pretty remarkable. And Scott somehow managed to avoid this movie until yeah, I, I hadn't seen it until last week. But I almost saw it many, many times because it was sitting there on Amazon. I was like, what's the smile thing? Um, if I had known it was Michael Ritchie, I'm sure I would have watched it. But it just kept going by me, and um, and now it's not there anymore. So I had to watch it on, on that little link that you sent me. Well, yeah. which, the the, the, thumb, so the thumbnail on the link is is... The scene where they're all in the chicken costumes. They all got the <laughs> chicken things. So I'm like, what? what is going on here? I know this movie isn't about this. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah. But it was. <laughs> I feel like I've seen this movie the most out of any movies in the last few years because I, I went to see it at the New Beverly. They had a 35 printed with Bruce Dern, came and spoke afterwards. And then uh, I, we watched in preparation for doing this, what I guess we're going to talk about this uh commentary track and then we did the commentary track and and then now i've watched it again in preparation for this so i mean i've seen that i don't know four or five times in the last couple of years yeah so that's the thing smile is about to be released later this month on blu-ray for i believe the very first time 
Is that right? This has never been on Blu-ray. Yep. Yeah. Which is crazy to me, but there it is. And it's being released by our pal Jonathan Hertzberg, who's got this uh, boutique uh, label that he has started called Fun City Editions. Um, uh, what has he released so far? Uh, Alphabet City. Uh, City. I start counting. Jeremy. And Jeremy. Jeremy, which I'm always trying to get Scott to watch. Uh, we, we talk about Robbie Benson a lot. And uh, um, I'll, I'm going to hook him up with one of those Fun City, Fun City Edition copies of Jeremy. With commentary track by Mike McPadden and Kat Ellinger. But you boys do the commentary track on Smile. And I was happy enough to be able to help you record that thing. How did that happen? Why you guys? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) We met, uh, I introduced Pat to Hertzberg uh, when we were all at the Sundance Festival four or five years ago. No, five years ago. And he asked us if we were interested as a team and in doing commentaries. And uh, he, he, he still works for Kino Lorber and they have their own boutique uh label uh and uh he asked us and if we were interested we said yes he didn't have any specific titles in mind but within a few weeks he came back at us with the taking of pelham one two three and but don't you remember him uh, us saying to him that smile was like we've we're always suggesting smile and at the time they were not interested I guess Kino wasn't interested in putting it out because it wasn't yeah i think that was a part and 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 mgm wasn't terribly interested in making a new hd transfer either but that that seems to have changed too so yeah um and uh and then uh and then we yeah we did taking of pelham and then i was able to do uh my bodyguard with tony bill uh one of my favorite chicago movies and uh and then pat and i did the next year we did uh, in one sitting, we did Gary Marshall's first two movies. We did Young Doctors in Love and The Flamingo Kid. And then the following year, uh, we did one for uh, Tell Them Willie Boy Is Here, the uh, Robert Redford film directed by Abraham Polanski. And uh, we did that one here in Madison because Abraham Polanski has d- donated his papers to the uh, Wisconsin Center for Film and Theater Research. So we were able to access those and get some good information on that movie Hmm. so it's a weird eclectic bunch right i was on my way uh to go to madison to record the smile commentary with jim when this weird thing started going down and i i had just been in a car accident so i wasn't feeling that good to begin with but i said you know this virus thing seems like it might be a, a thing i don't know it was like march 10th or march 11th or something and I think the next day was like when I started staying home, and the day after that was the lockdown started. So yeah. this is the first uh, COVID commentary track that we did. Yeah, I think Zoom made all the made the made it possible, right? I mean, made it made it seem possible for us. We have we never would have thought that we couldn't be in the same city to record these sure. things. Sure. I just and, uh, heard the one on uh, Diary of a Mad Housewife from Kino Lorber with uh, with. Uh, Larry Karasuski and uh, a couple of other people, and that was all done uh, uh, via Zoom too. And you can you can hear the difference. I don't think they do as good a job as Ben does with engineering it. But thank uh, you, thank you. But Pat. it's a good good commentary track, though. Yeah. <laughs> Informative. Nice, nice mixing, Ben. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. Um, so yes, 
So this thing is coming out, and it's got the Healy Brothers doing commentary track. It's got an inter- a new interview with Bruce Dern, and it's got, amazingly enough, it's got the liner notes are written by Mike McPadden. So it's really, um, we're all connected to this Blu-ray in some way, except for Scott. So Scott, you're going to have to keep us honest. Uh, all right. Bye, well, bye Scott. Is. We should talk about Michael Ritchie, and we should talk about what an amazing job everyone does in the cast. We should talk about Jerry Belson. We should talk about all those things. Uh, so I, I don't want to do this sort of plot point by plot point thing, but let me just read quickly some, if not all, of this rather small uh, plot description in Wikipedia, which will just at least paint the picture of this movie before we dive into these. Yeah. Subjects. So the plot of Smile revolves around the contestants and the people involved with the California pageant of the fictional young American Miss Pageant held in Santa Rosa, California. And let me just interrupt myself here, and I'm asking for help from all three. You of said you. we weren't going to do this. I know, I know. Famous last words. I've been watching too much of that one bite pizza guy who always says everyone knows the rules: oh, yeah. one bite and then eats the whole fucking slice <laughs> in like twelve bites. He um, doesn't know how to eat food. No, he doesn't know how to do much, but he knows how to, I guess, parlay off. some cash on, on the YouTubes. Um, but uh, two reviews, two contemporaneous reviews that I read this week talk very, talk a lot about this being a satire and a critique and a, and a portrait of middle America. Is California, is, is like a small town in California considered middle America? I always thought middle America was actually middle America. I mean, it's That's, interesting it because it, it's it is um, Central California, I guess, which is as it feels like Middle America. You talk about like Sacramento and Visalia and places like that. Um, I, I say probably in 1975, 1974, it didn't really make any difference, and I don't think people were using phrases like Middle America. You know what I mean? Like, I think well, these just critics kind of were. Like, Oh, so those were reviews from the time, huh? Those are contemporaneous. It was Vincent Camby in the New York Times who really drove home this whole Middle America thing. And then it's, one of the pull quotes in the ad also talks about Middle America. It's really interesting because I watched this and I watched the Bad News Bears uh, uh, both in the past week. And it's two Michael Ritchie movies in a row that are, you know, satires or, you know, films about uh, competition and winning in America and, you know, in these small towns and you know as a kid i don't know from california probably most things i was seeing were shot in california the lost bad news bears is completely los angeles you know um makes no effort to hide the fact that that it is um and uh you know this movie doesn't either but i don't know that uh, people notice but it is weird that's just constantly being brought up that this is california in this movie and that they would call it middle america i mean it's literally the end of the fucking country i don't know <laughs> like what i mean i guess alaska is further but uh, maybe they see you know middle america as small town or you know middle class you know maybe that's what yeah. they're what they're thinking middle about. america in spirit right yeah now, Pat, I'm like you. Like growing up in New York, I had nothing like I was saying this to Scott the other week, which is that I watched Lifeguard two or three times in a theater in Brooklyn, and I don't think it ever occurred to me that it was a California movie. I just thought, oh, maybe this is the Jersey Shore or something. Well, like, you've never. I mean, I didn't go on an airplane until I was ten years old, and that right. was to move. So it's like you don't know that there's a whole other 
world. I mean, it's just like you don't even think about it. You know that that is your world. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, for me anyway, you know, we didn't even go on vacations. Like we we went to like Peoria, Illinois, and like Rockford. You know, this mm. like nowhere. You know, uh, four kids, no money. But um, I I I will say that the the I was saying this to Jim the other day. These movies, a Smile and Bad News Bears, especially, uh, evoke the childhood that I remember from the seventies more than any movies that I can think of. It seems it's maybe, and maybe it's just, I know the movies so well, but it really does feel like what it felt like to me to be, you know, a kid growing up then both of them. Well, I, I think little Bob and his two friends are like the three best sort of yeah. kid, realistic kids of the seventies performance. In the, in the ads, it always comes with the film. <laughs> the Polaroid, and that was that was actually I think it was Stanley Jaffe who produced the Bad News Bears who saw Smile, and it was that it was the interaction of Little Bob and his buddies that mm. said, "Oh, this is the guy to direct this script that we've got." Right, and what Stanley Jaffe says on this new Bad News Bears, which is also just out on Blu-ray now too for the first time, which is amazing. Uh, he says that uh, you know that Paramount really wanted the bad news bears the bears to win at the end and michael ritchie and stanley jaffe were of the same mind that you know it, it it's better if you they lose it's better to lose than to win which is which is really what smile is about in some ways too you know that yeah the person who wins is not even an important character like you're kind of like who is that you know it's it's uh when you when you when you obsess about winning in and of itself it really is meaningless you know it might even be caused a sort of existential crisis, you know? But everybody loses in all those Michael Ritchie 70s movies. Yeah. You know, and the yeah. candidate, he doesn't win. And yes, I don't he does. Remember it. Oh, he, oh wins. he does? Yeah. He, wins, no, he wins, but it's a, oh, it sucks. It's a, wow. it's like, yeah. What, what about do Donald now? Racer? Did, Donald did he Racer? Win? No, he, he just, win. he, well, he, he wins to a point and then he just fucks it up, right? Yeah, I think at the end, or he's, he wins and then there's a guy right around the corner who's about to take his, but the last uh, thing is like that, title. it sort of has an ending like a, uh, uh, two lane blacktop where it, like it's like a crash, right? Or is that earlier in the movie? I can't remember. Yeah, I think that's earlier. I think he wins at the end, and then he realizes that you know there's some other guy who's going to be coming, coming around. Right to... behind him. The, well, there's I... a there's the, the there's a review of the Blu-ray of Semi Tough last year by uh, Glenn Erickson on the on the Trailers from Hell site, and he summed up that that first set of. Richie movies, I guess he was thinking of everything from Downhill Racer through uh, through Semi Tough, not not including Prime Cut, which which has some themes in, in common with Smile and some of his other films too. But he said the movies represent an autopsy of American madness, as seen in various kinds of competition. Yeah, that's just like there's this moment in this where uh, you know. Bruce Stern as Big Bob Friedlander has is a guy with zero introspection, and the second he has to like mm. take his kid to therapy, he's not even asked anything. He just yeah. completely loses <laughs> his mind and thinks about these things about for the first time and is challenged for the first time, and he's never the same person again. And Bad News Bears is a little different, is that Walter Matthau becomes obsessed with winning and he becomes abusive, and he has a moment where he realizes that he's been wrong, and he basically pushes them to kind of lose you know and and encourages them to lose and to be sore losers about it too you know which is like right. he, he realizes that he he shouldn't have done what he did which which doesn't really happen in smile i think he has this 
existential crisis, but, uh, you know, not that he's one that's trying to win, but, um, he's trying to win in, in some way, but he, yeah. he he's kind of really screwed up by the whole thing. You know? Well, there are no scenes like that in Wildcats, but time Wildcats <laughs> oh, came around, yeah. Michael Ritchie winning was all that mattered. And then, yeah. You know, well, yeah. that was like, that's the eighties, you know, that's, yeah. that's what happened. It's like, you know, Rocky, he loses, but by Rocky too, he beats yeah. the guy that he lost to. And then it's all. Would never lose again. Yeah. Well, I was trying to figure out if there were any real traditional protagonists in Smile, any characters that actually have an arc where they start somewhere and then wind up somewhere else through some kind of, you know, existential crisis or or moment of revelation. And it's true that Bruce Dern's character kind of comes the closest to that. But but it made me think about the other early Richie films and made me realize that I think for the most part, his characters don't go through those normal narrative arcs like in all of these films most if not all these characters sort of end up pretty much where they are at the start and they they go through something and they have moments of clarity or moments of transformation but then they sort of slink back to their more or less their original form at that they were at the start of the movie and i think that that's that's interesting in all these movies that 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 they that there are certainly you know main characters and they they you're you're following them along but you know, Walter Matt. There's no, there's no clear cut. Like Walter Matt, that isn't some totally changed person at the end of Bad News Bears. You can see him going back well, to the beer. And the, I don't know. I think he's very touched by Amanda and his, you know, relationship with her. And I think he that absolutely that's, is. But he no, becomes really open to that, and that's and that's what makes him at least turn the page at the end and say, you know, we're actually better off losing than winning. Which is yeah, like his essential character stays the same, but he. You know, he's probably always going to be like drunk and like you know cleaning pools and stuff. But he 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 first he's just doing it for a check, and then he learns to care about those kids. So I think like in these other films, this he's a cynic, you know, and he wins. And in this movie, like I guess you know Andy is a cynic, and uh, uh, Nicholas Pryor and Robin. It's not a cynic, but she kind of doesn't care about any of this stuff you know she's she's sort of the girl that we whose eyes we see as far as the girls go in the competition Mm -hmm. and she's they both know that like she's she doesn't care about she knows it's kind of bullshit and andy knows everything is bullshit because he's completely cynical but they're actually the ones who are right they have the right idea but because of the way everyone else behaves and the way that everyone else acts like they're driven to like these you know, Robin feels sort of isolated and alone. She's all right, and she'll be all right. But he's, you know, Andy's been driven to, to drinking, and but alienated from his own wife, you know, and and uh, estranged, I guess is the word. And um, that the cynics seem to have what you know the point of view of the movie, or you know, with who who Richie's sympathies seem to to lie with. Right, and I suppose there's a way of looking at Smile where it's Andy's movie, and he's the guy who has reached this crisis point in his life, and he winds up leaving that town at the end. Right, and also like Tommy French, you know, Michael Kidd, he he's he's really cynical too until the girls get hurt, right. you know, and and he you know has a heart. There's maybe too much of a one from the last time we see him, but uh, <laughs> there there's also that great scene where. Um, where Robin is being interviewed and she starts to talk about, she starts to say something very beautiful about playing the flute. Like all of her answers are like canned and kind of like, she's trying to gauge 
what she thinks is the best thing to say. And then she starts to speak very eloquently and beautifully about how the flute fills her up when she plays and, and, you know, spirit, sort of a spiritual transformation. And Bruce Dern kind of really like comes in on her and like guides her towards saying to talk about how she makes other people happy by playing it. It makes the audience happy, you know, that, that in this kind of, you know, point of view that, uh, you know, personal revelation and uh, spiritual fulfillment is takes a backseat to, to winning and to, you know, pleasing other people and doing doing what you think other people want and want to see, you know. Yeah, I, I, I think I saw that scene slightly different, like where she didn't really know how to play the game. And then once they started talking about the flute, she started figuring out what those people wanted to hear. And, yeah. you know, like she just kept going on and it was more bullshit than anything else. Yeah. Yeah, she's she yeah, she is ultimately sort of guided by Bruce Dern into saying the same right. final line that every other girl who's been interviewed says, which is that's how I can help people best. That's 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 how I help. But there people. is a focus on like, you know, it's not it's not about you and, you know, like growing and learning. It's about like the audience. Like even the thing with with the girls getting injured with the ramp, it's like about it's it's like making the girls feel good and safe or selling more tickets. You know, they can get mm-hmm. more seats in the theater if they move the ramp out, you know, and ultimately that to sort of, you know, capitulate to that and somebody gets hurt. Right. Yeah. And that, that changes. All right. Well, while we wait for Jim to come back, I'm going to read more of the plot. Oh, I didn't even realize he was gone. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he comes and goes. I thought, I thought he was just awed by what I was saying. <laughs> he was, he was knocked off yeah. the internet by it. Uh, Big Bob Freelander, played by Bruce Dern, is the head judge, and he's a used car dealer. Brenda DiCarlo is the pageant's executive director, and her husband Andy is a resentful alcoholic. In separate subplots, the film focuses on Andy's unhappiness, as he is about to become an exhausted rooster, aging out of the local JC chapter. Okay, can either one of you tell me what 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 JC is? I don't know exactly what it stands for, but it's like a local club, like the Lions Club or the Rotary Club and stuff like that. It's like the JCs. Yeah, the the Arlington Heights JCs welcome you. You know when you enter right. enter a town. But do you know uh, what like JC what JC stands for? No, I never never looked it up. Jesus I, Christ! Jesus Christ! Is, that's what I was thinking. Is that what it stands for? But now the Jesus Christers. Maybe we should have looked this up. Junior uh, Chamber, United States oh, Junior, Junior Chamber. Chamber. So, okay, that answers a question that I had because I was com- I'm confused. But now, you know, the other thing about watching these movies that you start watching when you're eight years old is that you sort of get you get what you get out of a movie when you're eight, and then that sort of becomes your understanding of the movie until you have to do a podcast about it, and then you're like, okay, wait, I really <laughs> need to understand this in a different way. And I found myself confused a little bit about this ceremony, the kissing of the chicken ass ceremony, mm-hmm. as to whether that means they're kicking these guys, they've aged out of this little club they've got, or they're yeah, aging at, at 34. <laughs> right. But so are they not, are they then not allowed to hang out with that, with that group of guys anymore? After the exhausted this roosters? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe really they go to. Become SCs, senior chambers? Jim? I, you know, I just thought it was some kind of ritual to get in, right? They're, they are inducting Yeah, but it's not. It's guys. getting out. I think it's right. getting out. Yeah, that's what I got out of it. It doesn't Kiss make a whole lot of sense. Ass. 
I don't really care. They got like clan robes on and it's like this weird thing that these <laughs> yeah. infantile juvenile guys uh do. What is it that's coming out of that chicken's ass? That white stuff. Is that mayo or marshmallow fluff or what's probably going on? chicken shit? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that white? I know George yeah. Weiner, the actor, is in that scene and he's got the great scene in the Bad News Bears where he has the team and they show up. And they're the White Sox, and they have the they have to forfeit because like all of his kids are sick, they all have the flu or whatever, yeah. and so the Bears just win a, a game and move ahead because of he's that. He's great. He's the only one. Uh, he's the only guy from those movies who's in Wildcats too. Yeah, he's like a coach. Oh wow. Um. Uh, okay. Uh, humiliating ritual. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm going through the rest of the plot, Jim. Uh. Little Bob, Big Bob's son, who conspires with his friends to photograph the contestants in various states of undress and the activities of the contestants themselves. Wilson Shears, the pageant producer, clashes with a choreographer brought in from Hollywood, Tommy French, who is cynical and blunt. Um, yeah, that's basically... Then it sort of tells you what goes on in the second half of the movie. But I think we're. I think that covers the main characters and main plot strands. We've got the pageant itself and and the girls. And in particular, we focus most of our time with um, Robin, played by Joan Prather, who is awesome. And uh, I... Eight is enough. Yes, but I am constantly conflating her with um, uh, Robin... Pam Dauber? no. That would be good too, but no, I'm always thinking she's the same person as Robin Douglas, who's the woman from Breaking uh, Away. Breaking Away. Away. Yeah. Um, mm. And it doesn't help that her name in this movie is Robin. Does that ma- really makes me think mm. it's the same actress all the time? Joan Prather. Sorry, go ahead, Scott. No, I, I couldn't figure it out either. I was like, where do I know her from? And then it's got to be Eight is Enough because yeah. I watched that all the time when I was a kid. Yeah, but. That, the, these are the two things I knew her from. I just saw her recently in The Devil's Reign. And uh, I read I read a rumor somewhere online, Ben. You can cut this out later if you want. That uh, that uh, that was the film where she she introduced John Travolta to Scientology. Oh, uh, well, there's an example of a Scientologist who never went anywhere. Whatever happened? To I guess she was a Scientologist. Maybe she was just like, hey, I heard about this thing, and maybe she wasn't. You know, the truth is most of them never go anywhere. Like you know that there's right. like th- right. three of them that have. Um, Devil's Reign, Ernie Borgnine, Mel- Melton Travolta. So is she one of the daughters on Eight Is Enough? No, she's Grant Goodeve's wife, right? She. She's the oldest oh. son's. She's the oldest son's wife, fiance. I I, I haven't watched it um, in years, but I know it was on uh, immediately following Happy Days and yep. Laverne and Shirley on Tuesdays. It is enough to fill our hearts with love. <laughs> Can we get the rights to that for this, Ben? Sure. To clear clear the music yes. rights. I'll, sure. I, I, we're covered. Scott's in the industry. He'll take care of it for us. All right. I know. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. I bet Let's, Alan Thicke wrote that. Let's let's talk about the cast because to me this is a, I'm a, this is a movie where uh, you know based on the last time I saw it which I don't even think I watched it before you guys recorded the commentary track so it probably had been two or three maybe I think maybe the last time I saw it was when we showed it on campus Jim we showed it at Cinematheque I don't know five years ago maybe yeah maybe 2015, 2015, 2016. yeah so that might have been the last on time 35? I saw it. yeah. 
Yeah, I've shown it on 35 twice. I showed it at George Eastman House when I was working there in Rochester, and uh, I positioned it uh, one week after we had Alexander Payne visit us because I knew he would. we had a big crowd for him, and I knew he would give it a plug, and he did, and then a bunch of people showed up to see Smile. Um, and uh, it was great because I've always felt that this, it's a really underseen film. I still do. I still think it's underseen. I'm so glad this Blu-ray is coming out, but I think... The fact that it's just coming out now just goes to show you, you know, how few people know about it. How, yeah. how, what, what, were you in the audience when that, when it played either time? Yes, both times. And how, how, how does it play? Cause I was, I had an interesting experience with it at the, you know, same thing like New Beverly that Bruce, it was a whole Bruce Dern month and that was the night he was going to be there for that movie. So that was packed. Um, I remember the the Rochester screening just getting tons of laughs. I only stayed for the first half when we showed it here in Madison, but you know it was, seemed to be playing well with laughs. I know people always really gasp when Andy shoots Brenda, but you know mm. that's yeah. that's you know yeah. it is a shocking moment. Yeah. What well, what did uh, they pair it with uh, at New Beverly when they played Smile? I think it was Digstown. I think oh. it was the. That was after, but I didn't, I didn't stay for it. I don't care for that movie. I don't hate it. It's uh, better than the couch trip. <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, I'm that almost a Richie. Com- I'm almost a Richie completist. The only one I haven't seen is Cops and Robertsons. Oh yeah. Oof, Me yeah, neither. I haven't seen no. that either. I actually am a fan of The Island. I, I know people. A lot of people don't like that one, but I I, I do. I do. I like want to watch that one. That's an odd movie for him too, especially coming when it did. It's it's a strange movie for him to have done. He didn't really direct any other movies like it. Yeah, it's a great ending. Yeah. All right. I'm going to stop talking about the cast for a second because we're talking about Michael Ritchie, and so I have this <laughs> question for everybody. Um, I'm wondering this. Did everything that Michael Ritchie did, and I, I agree, he's made some good movies after Bad News Bears and he, and Semi-Tough, which I think is is maybe just a half step below, maybe a step below, uh, the three or four that came before it, but everything after Semi Tough, you know, is it, as as Jim and I were saying earlier today, is kind of it's a it's a downhill journey, and it's not mm. it's not a swift dive, and there are a couple of like peaks and valleys, and but he had a bunch of hits, a couple of big hits, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but okay, but did everything he did after the seventies ultimately hurt his reputation and his standing in the eyes of like critics and? cinephiles because i don't think he has the same kind of cachet as like hal ashby or robert altman Mm -hmm. but but i kind of think he should yeah no i think you know he died pretty young and kind of suddenly um you know he was he worked right almost right up to when he died and i remember he died 20 years ago and it was it was you know in fact i think i heard about it almost a month after he died and there was very little um you know, talk about, oh, this, you know, but I think now, now the track record's getting recognized because of, because of, uh, you know, DVD and streaming and all that. My, my, my take is, you know, the first five movies are all very good and each one gets better. It's just, you know, Downhill Mm -hmm. Racer, Prime Cut, The Candidate, Smile, and Bad News Barrett's are just all, all great films. And then, you know, they're, I don't know. There's there's also something. There's they're, they're very. They feel they feel like they have that Hal Ashby kind of '70s feel too, and they and they feel very personal. And the timing and the cutting's very similar. And then 
by the time after the island when he starts making 80s films maybe after the survivors i'd say starting starting with fletch which clearly is a movie that got cut and probably reshot after they saw beverly hills cop and and because there was like six months between that and you know and and you know starting with fletch he really becomes a very very 80s director you know just there's you know the they don't they don't have the they don't have the soul searching quality of the you know a a similar thing can be said of alan pakula who i I think you know pakula you know his movies were more recognized with awards and things but but he 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 didn't really stick to a specific genre and uh, made all kinds of different movies died fairly young too um I mean, you know, but I think just he's sort of more well known because uh, some of those movies are, you know, famous movies that were nominated for Oscars and things like that. Um, but Pakula is kind of like becoming more like, you know, the, the Criterion has put out two of his movies in the last few years. And, um, you know, I think Richie's movies are more have a more commercial bent to them, you know, uh, than 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 some of those other films that we're talking about. Uh, the but Hal a lot Ashby more movies. commercial in the 80s. Like in the 70s, Well, I, I there think was, it's just, you know. yeah, the system completely changed. I mean, I don't, you couldn't make those movies anymore after Heaven's Gate, you know? Very few people did. Um, especially if he had... The Island was a huge flop, too. So I think that probably dictated a lot of it as well. Oh. I think he has a lot of credibility and integrity for me, you know, even after the 70s. In the way that he just, you know, he, he, he liked making comedies, and that's pretty much all he did, and and he never he never tried to make a, an Oscar bait movie. The closest he ever came would be right. the Candidate, which won the Oscar for best screenplay, um, and um, you know I think he, um, you know he 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 really believed I think that comedies were good for audiences and you know and and if there, he could make a comedy that made people feel better you know like that was something that was important so he was always trying to get you know get the next comedy off the ground hmm. i know that there he's influenced filmmakers you mentioned alexander payne but i also know that jason reitman also uh, you know talks about him a lot and uses him as a, as a guide or influence a lot too so uh, his work is probably showing up in other people's work too without people really even knowing it and, you know bad news bears have been remade and right um you know so but it's his, good. his name is not known yeah i remember that being okay yeah but he but was th- six foot seven that's one of the most amazing things i know about him he was a huge man six seven think about richie it. was yeah yeah i didn't see any pictures of him you know there's a there's that great uh i guess series of interview clips uh, from the directors, yeah, DGA, DGA, uh, with him shortly before he died, I think. Yeah, he doesn't look very. They've very done a well really good him. job with archiving, making sure they interview all those people and archiving that stuff. But I was going to say that as much as I love John Hertzberg, and I think it's amazing that that Fun City Editions is putting it out. It's really shocking to me that Smile is only coming out on Blu-ray for the first time now and it's on fun city and not like criterion or something. But did you also just say that, that bad news bears only recently came out on blue. Yeah. For the last week, just this year, just last That's week. That's insane. Yeah. Two weeks ago. And that is good uh, news. I could not find my copy last night anywhere. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's only like <laughs> ten or fifteen bucks right now too. Yeah. No, and the and Smile is just not a well-known movie. It really isn't. I remember when Drop Dead Gorgeous came out, and for some reason that movie has a cult quote you know quote unquote cult following, and nobody talked about Smile when that came it's out. It's crazy. I mean, uh, it just was not uh, mentioned. Right. And I tried watching that movie last week. I got I got to minute sixteen and had to turn it off. But I can't even try to watch it. <laughs> well, and then those there are those Sandra Bullock miscongeniality movies that sort of touch yeah, on I guess beauty that, pageants they're, they're a little bit. Up. Yeah, you know, nobody ever mentioned Smile. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking that maybe. Richard A. Harris had something to do with the fact that the 70s movies looked the way they do and the 80s movies looked the way they do. But Harris did all those 80s movies, too. You know, it's just he had like once the 80s came around, Michael Ritchie had just something clicked in his brain. And maybe that what you were talking about, Pat, about the island being such a flop. Maybe he was like, oh, I'm never doing that again. There's also a thing that I've come to realize, and I sort of mentioned this uh tangentially to Jim yesterday we were talking is that um, if you have a big budget and or are a respected director they will give you time you can take all the time you want to light same thing with a director of photography like you know direct Roger Deakins no one's going to rush him but if you don't you got to get that thing lit quick and it just won't look as good um and you know Richie's movies have are probably much more you know low budget or you know quick shorter schedules and things like that. And since he's sort of making a comedy, I also think like the movies you know even though a Conrad Hall shot uh, Smile, it doesn't. None of his movies, I'd say you know Downhill Racer is very influenced by the European style at the time but none of his movies go out of the way to draw their attention to right. the cinematography or anything like that yeah and then the 80s you know the style is, is is you know pretty pretty flat for those types of movies and um and the film stock is worse quite frankly and um you know i think pakula sort of uh, some of his movies are the same way you know uh uh Clute is maybe a little different with Gordon Willis. He was a guy definitely who nobody rushed. But, uh, y- you know, yeah, sometimes it just comes down to sort of like when you're when you're in this job, you see the just the strict, the straight up economics of of everything and how things work. And sometimes we want to analyze, uh, you know, a person's body of work by this or that. But uh, sometimes it just comes down to economics, unfortunately, you know. Yeah. I think all those things are probably there you know whether intention or 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 unconscious but um yeah a lot of it just does come down to just money unfortunately which is sort of the way the business went and then smile was you know not a hit and bad news bears was a huge hit and semi-tough i think was a pretty big hit too um and then the island is just like you know you only get one and then you know he got some other movies that were not you know, I don't think anybody thought Fletch was going to be like a huge movie. I, I suppose they probably did after vacation and stuff. But well, it wasn't huge. It did fine. Yeah, it, it was fine. It was the Golden Child that was the, the yeah. mega hit for and him. And that was when Eddie Murphy did anything. Everybody right. on Earth would right. see it. So I mean, he was having hits in the '80s, but oh yeah, there, there's just a different 
sensibility. Like it, it just like he doesn't even try to stick in stuff of that was seemed to be his sensibility for five movies in a row. Um, you know, maybe I'm looking too much into it, but it, no, it I just you're right. freaks me out. You're, you're right. But, you know, the one exception, of course, is the TV movie he made for HBO in 93, which is the positively true adventures of the alleged Texas cheerleader murdering mom. That movie's oh. great. Uh, yeah. With Holly Hunter and Bo Bridges, which is a total return to form. Uh, oh. For the for those early seventies movies, but that's you know he was in television and he had more leverage, and I'm sure he had you know less people breathing down his neck making a movie for TV because it didn't have to make uh, you know a gazillion dollars. You know it was going to be on HBO. Yeah, it was and also it, it, it was, was also well the, received right. It was it got great reviews, and it was the you know Holly Hunter did two other movies that year, and she got Oscar nominations for both of them, The Firm and The Piano. So it got a little bit of got a little bit of a bump because of that because she was in it and um and and it was well re- re- reviewed and but then you know I think I think his next movie was like Cops and Robertsons <laughs> yeah you know back to his old tricks yeah although he did you know he uh the last movie he made that was released I guess it wasn't the last thing he directed I think the last thing he directed was that Martin Short uh, Not the Fantastics wasn't the last movie. Fantastic was the last movie he did that was released because it sat on the shelf for four or five years, and that was a kind of labor of love for him. You yeah. know, he started off on um, uh, the TV show Omnibus, which was this you know weekly variety show, and they would have like they would you know Broadway shows would recreate numbers on this variety show, and he was involved with that a little bit. He directed documentaries for the show and for other like variety and news programs in the 60s and i guess the fantastics came on omnibus and he you know went to see the show and felt some big connection to it and right. you know the longest the longest running off-broadway musical and it's actually it's not bad my my reaction to it was you know i know try to remember but none of the other songs are particularly memorable oh, yeah it was oh, the longest they, running show musical yeah. ever or something and Long, off-broadway longest yeah. running they're, off-broadway they're show. very memorable memorable to me uh, oh. fun fact i was in that play in high school that's so right i know so you've you've literally have memorized them i know all those songs i played the uh the the el gallo character oh um, well, he's the one who sings try to remember right r- yep yeah, yeah i sang that and i also sang this song called the rape song right ah. um so here i am in high school in the 80s and i'm singing this song about rape and, you know, I'm singing rape and just going through all the different kind of rapes that you can pay for that my character will sell to you. Um, and, and you know, it almost got shut down that day. The, the principal came to see it and he was like, what the fuck is going on here? And, you know, I can't believe nobody thought, I mean, it didn't get shut down. The fact that it didn't get shut down is crazy. I try to tell that story to people and. Hey, Jerry Orbach made it work, okay? Yeah. (laughs) You know, Jerry can make rape work. Jerry can make anything work. I can't believe there's not a local H version of Try to Remember. Scott, you need to rectify that. (laughs) Bing. After, you know, yeah, we'll we'll do the rape song first. (laughs) I was just thinking, too, like, if you know, Chevy Chase was a huge star and and, uh a pain in the ass. So probably uh-huh. if you, if he liked you as a director and you could get along with him, I'm sure, you, you know, that's, that probably had a lot to do with him. Like being Richie 
staying stably employed for several years, doing three movies with Chevy. Although yeah. by the, end, the last one, he's on the downside, both of them. Yeah, I think I think having you know having the Golden Child probably probably paved the way for the next ten years for him, and then you know then he made he made he was still making studio comedies in the late nineties and right up. I think there was a film released just the year before he died. So you know he worked steadily, and but you know it's really really the really only good one is Texas Cheerleader Murdering Mom. I gotta see that. I'll you hook know- you up. Okay. You mentioned uh, Alexander Payne and Jason Reitman, and certainly Election feels like it could have been a Michael Ritchie movie. You know, and yeah. the uh, I don't know if you saw the Front Runner, but that you know with Hugh Jackman as Gary Hart, but that's very much oh, like yeah. a Michael Ritchie stuff. Yeah, yeah, too. yeah. But I also think of Ritchie's early works as 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 incredibly influential. Like I don't, I think without the candidate, I, I can't quite imagine Tanner, and I can't mm. quite imagine Veep. Like that feels like that's the prototype for both of those things, um, especially I was I watched uh, Candidate today after not seeing it for twenty years. But Peter Boyle in that movie gives such an amazing yeah. Uh, yeah. singular and, performance by him, which is something I want to talk about a lot with Smile as well, where people actors across the board are giving performances that you don't see by them in almost any other movie they ever make. Like they're great parts. It's great writing. Like, you know, it's, um, you know, Nicholas Pryor as, uh, Andy, you know, that's a really great character. I don't know that he ever had as good a part of that again. Um, uh, Barbara Feldon from get smart, but like, I don't, I don't even can't even think of any other movies that she's in. I don't think I think it's the only theatrical film she was in after the sixties. I mean, the nude she's, bomb. She's, she's no, she's not in the nude she's bomb. Not she's in. not in the nude no, bomb. No, she didn't do. They got they got somebody. Ninety nine is not a character. Sylvia Christella is in it, isn't she? So, yeah, she is. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but again, yeah. the way he uses Barbara Feldon, like that's a character yeah. that you don't see exactly anywhere else. And I'm sure you know, speaking as an actor, like who's probably you know. She was known as 99. I'm sure she leapt at the chance to do something interesting like that and it gave her a chance to do it, you know. Um, all of the women are great. Some of them have gone on to great careers like uh, Colleen Camp and, of course, Melanie Griffith and Annette O'Toole. And um, so clearly had an eye for young talent too because you're talking about like Jackie Earl Haley and then Bad News Bears and um, – uh, and apparently he was very good with working with those kids too and young people. Um, Michael Kidd, you know, didn't do a lot of acting, you know, like uh, outside of his, you know, the movies that he choreographed or acted. And he's great. You know? Oh, I was going to say, like, if I, it, I don't think there is a, there isn't, there isn't somebody who steals this film because everyone's so funny and great. And, 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 the only person I could think that we've seen more of in, in, in more recent years and probably Richie didn't take full advantage of them. And, and the only person I could think of that fits that bill is Colleen Camp. But even Colleen mm. Camp gets to start the movie. Like she's the yeah, beginning she is of the, movie. the whole beginning of the first five minutes. Yeah. But I was going to say that if I had to pick somebody from my memory, back when I was saying I hadn't seen this thing since 2016, I would have said, oh, Michael Kidd walks away with this movie. And it's not true, but he's so fucking great in this movie. He has a lot of great laugh lines too, you know. Let's keep it shaky. Keep it shaky. <laughs> <laughs> and that girl had a wooden foot. Yeah, it's total bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and that, but there are also actors in this who I don't know that are great, like the guy that plays Ted Farley, you know, the announcer. Like I don't, 
I can't think of other movies I've seen him in, but like he's he's like, Richie right used there. him. Richie used him a couple of times, and he's usually he was a radio announcer. So when he goes up yeah. to Tommy French and says, "I've got a syndicated show in four markets," that right. was true. He actually That's did, <laughs> and uh, and he's in. Um, he pops up in Die Hard too, and he's uh-huh. the he's the announcer in Scrooged too. The, oh uh, right, yeah. tonight on the network. Dick McGarvin was his name. Yeah, he has that creepy, like, when he's doing that thing, at the, goodbye, goodbye, Joanne. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he's that great scene with Durham where they're grabbing the microphone from each other, too. <laughs> yeah. And and I Maria keep... O'Brien, who doesn't hasn't done a lot of stuff, she's so fantastic in this movie as Maria. And something I never caught until this year was that when she's talking to the stagehand, she drops the accent yeah. entirely. Yeah, that's a phony just, accent. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't believe this movie came out the same year as Nashville. I would have bet that same month. I would have bet one or the other had influenced. You know, the other. A, a lot of people talk about how Smile has an has an Altman esque feel, and I think you know, I'm sure that they you know saw Mash and the multi character films that he had done up to that point. But I think the real the real influence the the the, the movie that said oh this kind of movie is possible where you don't have really have a central character and you just follow around a bunch of people in mm-hmm. central california it was american graffiti um yeah. you know which is a couple years before which is all just kind of you know incidental you know little things and you you're with this character for a short time and and uh you know, and that and that movie was yeah. Know, I feel like our, we talk hit. about our our friend Mike McPadden. I mean, you know, basically this entire genre of, that he wrote about in Teen Movie Hell all comes out of American Graffiti, which was a giant, colossal blockbuster. Uh, influenced a lot of things, and it's and it's much closer. It doesn't have that and TV shows have, like Happy Days, you know, even and all and and yeah. you know this whole nostalgia craze that happened, you know. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't also smile is. You know, has cynical characters, but it, it doesn't have a sour tone like a lot of Altman does. You know, which sometimes works wonderfully in things like Mash and Nashville, and sometimes bugs the hell out of me in some of his later films. But, um, but he, but it's it's so I just feel it's closer to the kind of feel good nostalgia of American Graffiti than the than the um, you know kind of uh, world's going to hell vision of Nashville. Sometimes yeah. too, you see like a director building it up, like the confidence, and then getting it. And it's almost like this movie. You said the movies keep getting better, but like this movie is such a precursor to Bad News Bears in so many ways. That, you know that it's about like these competitions that are that are representative of the country at large, but you know are these small worlds, small town beauty pageant, little league baseball, and and. um so much of you know, I love both of the movies. I could say they're both probably perfect, but he totally, obviously, got it right with Bad News Bears. You know, and telling the same kind of story, at least in terms of uh, critical and audience, you know, reception. You know, it's just like figured out what. Sometimes directors are just always telling the same story over and over again and trying to better it. You know, and mm. and uh, I think it's a better movie, Bad News Bears, by 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 a hair or a few hairs, but it also, you know, really like cashed in on, on the same ideas and the same, you know, uh, figuring out how to communicate with the audience, you know, the ideas a little bit better. I think this movie is more, um, smile is more 
I, it's, I know it's like some younger people I've talked to, they don't get it. Like they don't get the humor of it because it's not like when you mentioned the candidate, like when you watch the candidate, Jim and I watched it together a few years ago. And I've seen that movie a lot. It doesn't really have any jokes in it. You always think of it as this comedy, but it doesn't really have any jokes in it, but it somehow is funny. Like, and it, it is it, it, because it's, it feels like real life, you know? It's almost not, it's not satire because it's just, it's just like very true to life. And that's sort of what Smile has, whereas Bad News Bears has that, but also goes for a broader laughs and, you know, more of a relatable kind of people and situations overall. I was, I was able to sort of see a pretty clear line from Smile with its sort of documentary feel, but also this incredibly well-written script that builds to a wonderful punchline in almost every single scene. And that reminded me a lot of Spinal Tap in that, you know, which went full on mockumentary. I guess that's the film that coined that phrase. But also, if you watch it now, compared to everything that Christopher Guest did afterwards, has so many more built in laugh lines and punchlines and is so you know, so much more constructed, uh, you know, even if it, even if it came out of improv in the editing of that film, they really built that film around laugh lines. Whereas, you know, the more Christopher Guest did his films after that without Rob Reiner, without sort of that kind of like more old Hollywood and TV, like emphasis on the comedy and like actual, you know, punchlines and more just on the improv character stuff. Like I, you know, I feel like that was the progression. But I, again, I feel like that comes from Smile. I think the Spinal Tap is better than all those later ones, though. Yeah. Oh, I do, too. I think, I mean, I think Smile and Spinal Tap are much better than any of the Christopher Guest uh, yeah. films. I like those. Uh, most of those mm-hmm. uh, Almost, uh, I mean, I can't think of a single scene uh, or sequence in Smile that doesn't end on a gag. In fact, I think they probably, with cutting and with some other sweetening you know made it that way too in fact i was noticing tonight that the the sour note that the girl playing the is it the french horn yes with her, i noticed their that mother on the piano was probably she they probably just added that in because she just seems to be playing normally and she just hits a sour and it's it totally seems like it's sweetened in and turned up and you know and and they just they probably just had footage of her playing on stage with you know it looks like it's her mother it's her accompanist yeah, there's a lot of great comedy cutting and there's like, you know, feelings like sometimes you find out that the joke, the punchline of the scene is earlier, you know, and you cut out. And I sense there's some of that there. I don't know. But like, you know, um, it was like William Goldman said as a as a as a writer, uh, come in late and get out early. You know, like, you know, you, you ever have this like giant scene, but like usually what you want to do is start right in the middle of it and get out before, you know, you hmm. think it has to end. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of that and, here. And let's not forget to talk a lot about Bruce Dern, who I think this is one of his greatest performances and also a performance that feels different to me than any other performance that I've seen him do. I don't remember him doing anything like that Liz Taylor monologue yeah. and anything mm. else that I've seen him do. And he has so many great bits of business that he gets to do with like inanimate objects he's constantly fucking around with stuff on in the sets he he goes into his office at the uh, used car lot and he flips the cassette that's playing music out into the car lot he's got that 
alcohol dispenser that's that boy peeing that he fucks around with when he goes home he has that great bit at the beginning where he's um didn't it seem like in the 70s like everybody that you knew had a bar had like their dad had like some weird like kid peeing or like that lady that old lady that laughed that spit and like the charlie <laughs> weaver like little like that's weird shit from that time it's like it's so specific yeah but anyway continue but he's got Bob that Bruce great Hurt. bit with the uh thermostat when he first first walks into his uh-huh. house at the beginning someone's messing with my thermostat then he goes oh, yeah. upstairs and he's got that bizarre mechanical bird that he turns on he is constantly given like little fun physical objects to interact with and i think it adds so much great detail to the movie yeah he, he's, he the elizabeth taylor thing is like I was thinking about it, and again, I've seen this movie a lot lately, but like in conjunction with the, the wooden foot story, which is like, they're both like these sort of like myths, you know. In his case, I was thinking for the first time that probably that guy wasn't Elizabeth Taylor's cousin. I mean, what are the odds that that would be? Like, he was probably just some guy fucking with him. But <laughs> right. he still thinks that he had a date with Elizabeth Taylor, and she just broke it off, and that ran off with, uh, you know, what's his name? Uh, Hilton or... Todd. The hotel yeah, the, guy. The hotel guy. <laughs> yeah. Nikki yeah. Hilton. Yeah. I think there do you, do you guys think that there's something uh quietly tragic about him? Like oh, there's yeah. I mean, it's just he's you know, and, and it's and it's almost like at the end, you know, when when I don't know, when he, he just so much has dawned on him and the pageant ends and he's it's clearly not filled him with any thrills this year. It's like it's like I think he might even be realizing at that moment that the Elizabeth Taylor thing was just a yeah. some guy pulling a scam on him. I mean, it's just yeah, he's very he's very sad guy at the end. Yeah, would a, would a guy would Elizabeth Taylor's uh, cousin be in junior college with him? <laughs> well, that's just weird. But like, he does the Bruce Dern face, which is that that tight lip face that Jim Carrey does when he does the impersonation of him once, and it's in this movie, and it's when. Uh, when uh, Andy says, "I know what you are. You're a young American miss." <laughs> he gets psyched out there, and he gets really psyched out. In the uh, begins talking about mothers and women, and and you know just speaks out all of his inner demons out loud in the psychiatrist's office. Uh, there, it starts to crumble from there. Um, and yeah. do we do we actually see his wife in that one scene at the beginning, or is she just yeah. is she just a voice? They yeah. watch TV together, yeah, we watching her. some movie. Yeah, but she she got the flu as soon as she found out about what happened with Little Bob. And, yes, uh, uh, she's a woman who probably she, never leaves the house. She's embarrassed, and and he talks about going on vacation and well, a romantic like, getaway weekend. Yeah, but to Disney, yeah, walk <laughs> to Disneyland. He goes, we're gonna leave Little Bob home, and he's like, where we go? I think we'll go to Disneyland. She's like completely not into that idea at all. So Bruce Dern is always talking about how he likes to try to figure out some improv moments and he calls them Dernsies. And I was trying to figure out what one might be in this movie. I think he talks about them in the interview on the disc. Well, there's that, there's that one moment where he's at the, at the diner or whatever with Nicholas Pryor and they're talking about the, the chicken ritual. And he says, I've seen as many chicken asses as another chicken. And Nicholas Pryor cracks up and it made me think like that might've been an improv. Yeah. There was one that I, I like, uh, and when he's when they're pulling up, how about a major weenie? Because he he uh, yeah. it's a foot of fun. <laughs> yeah. And he insists on calling the 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 the, the ceramic dog at the uh, at the takeout window major. He just says, hey, yeah, major. major. <laughs> yeah, two L may whores. 
I know. I was uh, looking for El Mejor on the menu inside the restaurant. And I didn't see it. And I was also wondering maybe that was just his kind of oh, his own way oh, of saying. Can't but they did Paul, have some Paul Benedict too. Oh God, Paul Benedict! <laughs> Overhearing Paul Benedict. them on the on the drive-through speaker, and I, oh, the uh, Michael Kidd uh, line. He's like talking about dancing, and the girl says, "Does square dancing count?" He says, "Not with me, dear. <laughs> Not with me." <laughs> <laughs> Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd. Do you think that that's Michael Kidd playing Michael Kidd? And do you think that Richie or somebody else like knew him from the biz and was like, this is the perfect guy to play this? I can't remember if we did do some research on that. I, I want to say it was, he, Richie did know him because you know, he had some kind of Broadway connection. But I think also Jerry Belson knew him too. And they might have, they might have written, him with, the, written that part with him in mind. But like Pat, written- sorry, go ahead. No, I was reading a uh, Ebert review, and he was talking about the the role being semi autobiographical. Yeah. So, I mean, I he don't was think like fifty nine years old when he, he made that. Yeah, he looks amazing. And like and like you were saying, Pat, I think it was only he's he's in um, it's always fair weather, mm-hmm. and then uh, is I don't think he's in seven. I, yeah, he's in it's always fair weather, and then he then he's in then he really. The next acting role he's got is in Smile. Then he was in a TV movie called Actor. And then he apparently has a part in Movie Movie, but I we watched that a couple yes, years ago. Yes, he's in remember. Movie Movie. He is. But then I wanted I want he's in Skin Deep, the Blake Edwards John Ritter film, oh. which I just watched again recently, well, maybe like a couple of years ago. I'm trying to remember. I don't remember a minute. He's a he, he, apparently he plays a doctor. But I, I wonder if it's much Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like John Ritter's doctor. He has a couple of scenes in it. That's right. I was just thinking of Bruce Dern's, like, how excited he is to get his shitty gold plastic name tag and, like, how, how much better he feels that he's the only one getting the gold one and everyone else is getting shitty silver uh, plastic name tags. That's good, too. Yeah. But Bruce Dern is still kind of menacing in this movie, too, right? Or is it just me? Towards his that? son, I think. Yeah. He's he's edgy. He's in you know he's he's not a guy you want to hang out with. But he, it is it is a bit of it's definitely, um, you know, a break from what I guess what he was what he became known for. I mean, I remember in the early '80s when Tattoo came out. It was like, oh, here's Bruce Dern as another psycho, and uh. um, it was. I mean, that was really all he was known for. Yeah, I do he think shot this John is a- Wayne in the back. Right, he yeah. killed a bunch of people on that spaceship in the same year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but I do think he's a he's he's. This is a much softer side of Bruce Dern, and like you say, that you know th- those those reactions are subtle and genuine. Like when he when he when she gives him the gold name tag, and yeah, and he's more of, of a sh- a sh- schlemiel, more of a schmuck, you know. Yeah, I wouldn't say menacing, but I mean maybe towards his kid, he's a little abusive. But then that completely seems like and the. I wouldn't say appropriate, but the usual parents' relationship with their kids from the seventies. You know, if you're like, if I watch Alice Doesn't Live Here anymore, those scenes with Ellen Burstyn in her car with Alfred Letter, you know, the best. that just reminds me of my mom being in the car with my mom. Like me you know, too. I like love that. Saying something really loving one moment and telling her, telling you she's going to kill you the next. You know, yeah. <laughs> it seems very seventies. <laughs> the shoot the dog joke is. Yeah, no. <laughs> you can't hear it anymore. Yeah. You know, I, this, I don't think I ever realized that 
the song Smile was written by Charlie Chaplin until watching this movie. Well, we talked about that on the on the um, commentary. It was it's part of the score for modern times. You know, he wrote mm-hmm. all of his scores for his talkies, and then he went back and wrote original scores for his silent features and and put them on. And that's actually the only way you can see them or show them. Um, but uh, the the lyrics to the song were written in the early fifties, and Nat King Cole's recording was the first ever recording of that but did uh, chaplin write the lyrics, lyrics in the 50s no he did not oh, okay. it was like ray livingston and evans or somebody like that but and it was it was you know so it was basically they got the melody and and uh and wrote it for um wrote it for nat king cole hmm. so um, and ultimately best used we can all agree in the trailer for joker <laughs> yeah you. it's the jimmy durante version right <laughs> Yes. Next yeah. level stuff. Yeah. Scott, beautiful chord changes, right? Yeah. A lot better than that uh, soft shoe banjo music going on. In, whoa, whoa, whoa. The, the old movie. bamboo, you mean? From the old bang bamboo? Bang? I don't like the banjo music. The uh, the old bamboo is uh, a song from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. So it's kind of like... It's, it's Mary it's, Poppins knockoff. Right. It's like uh, it's like the Chim 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 Chimney, Chim Chim Tree uh, <laughs> knockoff <laughs> from... Every, <laughs> Everything I had some chimchimchurri this... sauce the other day. It was delicious. Uh, chimchimchurri. <laughs> Everything in this movie is like the low budge, like knockoff version of it. You know, the small town uh, version of it. Like they they don't even have a Mary Poppins song. They have a Chitty Chitty Bang song. <laughs> yeah, but you know, Chaplin gets gets that big credit in the film. And Ben, you, it, Chaplin's kind of come up before in your discussions with Mike, and especially when you're talking about the early '70s and how the Chaplin films always seem to be playing in New York. But he was. You know, he was having a big uh, a rebirth renaissance in the U.S. because, you know, he he got basically driven out of the country because of his scandals and his, you know, and mm-hmm. his uh, alleged uh, communist uh, affiliations. By the way, that his his um, his blacklisting, um, the first person to name him actually happened in the U.K. And there was a there was a Ministry of Information uh he, you know, quiet hearings, and he was named by George Orwell, communist, <laughs> wow. which is literally Orwellian. <laughs> yes, and, and the most that's why they call it Orwellian. Yeah. <laughs> so he had that, and he had the, and he had the. Uh, you know, we should he, just do a whole podcast on that. What the fuck? <laughs> he had this. He had the, all the scandals of you know the young, the young girlfriends and wives, and some, some of, some of them are younger than the girls in Smile. Uh, yeah, like 13, 14, right? His, well, I think his second wife was 15 when he married her, but he'd been carrying on with her for a while. But, but you know, but in 1972, they, they brought him back to the States for the first time, and they gave him the honorary Oscar, and it was just like, you know, all is forgiven and all is forgotten. And it was it was Chaplin love for the next five years. It was the last five years he was alive. And Oh, if Woody had only just gone yeah. away for a while. <laughs> just thinking about it. Hey, it's See, not it over com- yet. It comes around again. You know? Yeah. Uh, anyone see the Robert Downey Jr. movie more than once? Not more than once. No, no. just once. And Although I, I thought about that scene that Jim was just talking about because of the Robert Downey Jr. movie. Yeah. Where he gets the honorary Oscar. That's the big. That's, oh, right. That's the big payoff of the movie. Like that's all that fucking matters is that you would get an honorary Oscar and then yeah. your life is complete. And I think I think Smile. 
definitely, you know, I mean, if Pat was talking about microcosms. It's definitely, you could definitely extract the Oscars and what Michael Ritchie thinks of the Oscars out of it. You know, sure. like I said, you know, he never, he never made any Oscar bait movies. He was only interested in making, you know, comedies and, and kind of audience pleasing movies. And, you know, you, 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 you get a sense that, uh, he isn't just picking up a paycheck ever, really, even in those kind of crappy 80s and 90s films. And he you know, believed in the power of comedy. You know, I think a lot of it is, is like this idea that, you know, and Chaplin often said this too, and Jerry Lewis too, that you can make a comedy and, you know, you feel like you've contributed something to, to the lives of people if they actually laugh at it and, and like it. And that's like, that's kind of behind the whole, certainly behind Smile. I mean, how many... How many, that whole long scene about you know interviewing all the all the um, contestants about you know uh, about themselves and and always pushing the pushing the uh, you know doesn't it feel good to help others thing and I think like Richie's yeah. both bemused and a little bit appalled at how the notion of you know helping or uh, helping others. Uh, or at least saying you're in, just you're interested in helping others has been turned into some kind of currency in the world. Yeah, the um, Sullivan's Travels thing. Yeah, and also that's what I was talking about earlier with like Robin's flute thing is like she's talking about how it makes her feel and like the spiritual uplifting of it, and then he like makes her bring it around to like how it makes other people feel good, you know, yeah, how it's yeah. what other people want, you know. And the Oscars don't recognize comedy, you know. Too, that's the other thing is like. You know, you make everybody in the world happy, but, you know, not this elite group of snobs that. Since we're talking about that scene, I have to mention the moment where he and the priest start talking at the same time. And um, and and Dern goes, no, go ahead, father. And the father asks the abortion question. And Dern has a reaction to that question. That's so fucking great. And, and, you know, and Oscars have these campaigns now that were these where it's like, you know, what's the scandal of the week that's going to take down, you know, Nomadland or whatever, whatever else is nominated that, you know, that we can that we can, you know, make some kind of news item about that, you know, circulates for 48 hours or whatever until the cycle turns over again. And that's the same. That's the same thing as, you know, you know, let's 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 not let these young women you know be who they are and express who they are let's you know let's put them in a box and make sure that they check off all the little boxes about you know do you do you are you you know what would you what would you do if you know in this situation and doesn't, and also, it, feel, doesn't it feel good to make people feel good and also here's your prize at the end a bunch of fucking crap products <laughs> yeah. that yeah, we got sponsorship for yeah. to introduce you to your fucking the fu- your future consumerist bullshit life. Yeah, that's right. It's all meaningless, and it's all, you know, it's like uh, uh, the announcer says, see you next year. You know, it's just, it's all fodder for yeah. for the next year. Four winners a night, three nights in a row. <laughs> and then a guy just flips a coin next to him after Bruce Dern goes through all the stuff. The guy next to him is just flipping a coin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the Marines are just talking about the, the they're folding the flag, but they're really oh they don't want to hear girls, from from Bruce the girls' tits, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Lewis, who's a big Eastwood uh, guy, um, I think he Jeffrey does Lewis. he does such great work here. He reminded me of a performance that I love to talk about, <laughs> and that's Steve Gutenberg in uh, Bedroom Window. 
Um, <laughs> that doesn't doesn't spring to mind. Mm-mm. There's this great scene in Bedroom Window where Bruce, where uh, Steve Gutenberg is 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 on is there's a trial and he's the expert. He's the witness who saw something. Uh, but they from the they, bedroom window from the bedroom window. But um, it's all bullshit. But and but so he's telling this story and the prosecutor busts him or the defense attorney busts him by asking him if he was wearing his glasses and he wasn't. And he does this whole sight thing. And Gutenberg has to sort of has to act like he can't see this thing. And he, he just does a wonderful job of faking like exasperation and and confusion and not being able to to see and being put on the spot. And it. it Jeffrey Lewis in the first scene, he's got to read these cards that he's got written out, and one of them is from the maintenance crew, and they're talking Sorry. about sanitary, sanitary napkins. Right, and it's sort of you know, in, in one way, it's Sick. not believable because you can't believe that this guy would have these cards written out but not have actually read them to know that he's about to start talking about sanitary napkins. On the other hand, Jeffrey Lewis does such a great job of looking exasperated and embarrassed that I just think he pulls it off. I thought you were gonna you're pulling the courtroom thing around to Jeffrey Lewis's amazing performance as the sleazy attorney in Ten to Midnight with the <laughs> amazing full wig that like is amazing. Any chance I can have the plug Jay Lee Thompson's Ten to Midnight with Charles Bronson? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it's a great movie. We're I'm big fan. Jay Lee fans here. But Je- Je- Jeffrey Lewis is always great, and, and there's a good Scientologist. And and <laughs> oh, is he? Oh yeah. Not anymore. No. And, uh, <laughs> well, and Juliet Lewis's dad, I always like to point out because that's yes. just, right. crazy to me. You know oh, that? Really, Scott? I didn't know that. Yes, I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. Jeffrey Lewis is always great. Was Better Jeffrey Lewis ever in a Scorsese movie? No. No. Uh, he's in uh, Macon County Line and countless. Clint Eastwood films and what's the there's a movie I'm thinking of where it's like a period thing where he has a mustache oh uh Wind in the Lion Wind in the Lion yes which I I love it's just a movie that I thought was completely stupid but I enjoyed it the first time I saw it and now I think it's completely stupid and I love it (laughs) (laughs) I've seen that a bunch of times in the last few years too. that and Smile came out right around the same time he does a whole gravelly voice thing in that yes He's great in um, Toby Hooper's uh, Salem's Lot, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that was probably the first time I... Well, sure no, I no. guess Every Which Way But Loose was before that. Orville. Yeah. Um, yeah. And let's Man. talk for a moment about Little Bob, Eric Shea, who I didn't realize until this week. Of course, that's the kid from the Poseidon Adventure. One of the, right. one of the, yeah. sur- one of the few survivors. Got such a distinctive voice. It's amazing to me that he's not in any of those 70s Disney films. How is he not a Disney star? You know, isn't he... I should look it up, but isn't, wasn't he, he like... He probably the, had good parents that didn't want his life <laughs> fucked up. Wasn't he like the voice of Charlie Brown or Linus or something like that? On some oh, other was early? he? Peanut, I gotta look it up. I'm, I'm, no maybe way. I could be wrong, but... I'm um, looking him up right now. Me too. His filmography is your, yours, mine, and ours. Uh, Gailey Gailey in 1969, a movie I don't mm-hmm. know. Right. Norman Jewison. Oh, Norman Jewison, yeah. Uh, mm. Poseidon Adventure in 72. In 73, he did something called Alvin the Magnificent, which is doesn't even have its own Wikipedia thing. Uh, he doesn't have any voiceover work. 
Ace Eli and Roger of the Skies was also that in was an almost uh, Spielberg was gonna Sto- do. I think story he's got by a story Spielberg. Credit, story by Spielberg. Yeah. 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 Has anyone seen this movie? No, I have never seen it. Nope. Oh, I can't. I just saw Castaway Cowboy. That was a Disney film he was in. Oh, okay. So he was. Uh, in a Disney that's film. a James Sorry, Garner Skywalker. a western with Robert Culp uh, and uh, I think Vera Miles. Jeffrey Lewis was in a movie that, uh, oh, I guess this was on uh, Crackpot. They talked about Tilt. Oh. The, uh, yeah. The Brooke Shields movie. Um, I would say that Jeffrey Lewis worked with uh, Michael Ritchie again in Fletch Lives as KKK leader. <laughs> so he's credited as. I don't remember it. Oh, Lucky Lady. That was the movie that I was thinking of that Jeffrey Lewis was in. And it was another period thing that he was in. Strike around the same year, too, like 75. Eric Shea was in an episode of Batman, or two two episodes of Batman in the 60s. He was on Gunsmoke, The Flying Nun. Oh, he was, in, he was on The Wonderful World of Disney. So, okay, he didn't totally so, escape the Disney. Boy, he must have been a toddler on Batman. That's like seven or eight years before, right? He's... Yeah, right. That was, that's one of his first credits in 66 on Batman. Mm. He was on Emergency, Adam 12, Little House on the Prairie. We loved Emergency as kids. When yeah. I first came, moved out to L.A., I was in line at the Chinese Theater at the concession stand, and I looked and I said, are you Randolph Mantooth? And he turned to me and goes, <laughs> yeah, like no one had ever recognized him ever. And I was like, oh, my God, I loved the uh, Emergency so much, like growing up, and it was just like, you know, I was new in L.A., I didn't know, that, but he was so touched. I remember that. It's just like nobody knows who I am. What a great Randolph, name, Man- yeah. yeah, he couldn't forget that name. Well, then they, I think they would not announce it at the beginning of the program. Emergency, oh, yeah. starring Randolph Mantooth Mant- and yeah. Kevin yeah. Ty. Those those announcers, the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> Why are you yelling at me? The Jack Penny program. <laughs> so Tito's Vandis and Dennis Dugan as the maintenance oh, crew. Yeah. Hmm. Um, that's my least. That's I think the least successful part of this movie. And in a uh, weird way, I disagree. Oh, that's uh, no. that's one Very, of my favorite things. Mr. Notches, really? He, that's he, you oh. and me. <laughs> <laughs> and he does the he does the slow burn. The, no, shakes his head when they, when when he thinks when he says, "Do you think they'll listen about the sanitary napkins?" No. He also has the line that could be the <laughs> could be a Michael Ritchie uh, philosophy. Uh, it's a depressing thing to see one person being mean to another person. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He he also which is which his... is which is exactly what uh, the seventeen minutes of uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous was. For me. Just <laughs> seventeen minutes of nonstop cruelty, but to characters to each other and the filmmaker to the audience. He also takes his. Uh, Opens the Pepsi machine that he hides his booze in, yeah. and he does, says the Pepsi slogan at the time: "For those who think young." Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he takes a swig. That's right. And he's finishing off the bottle when little Bob trips over him, and during the Polaroid scene, right. too. Yeah, maybe I've just got a thing with that character type and the the drinking, the sort of drinking. He, he reminded me a lot of Barry Fitzgerald in um, Bringing Up Baby, which is another film that I think is perfect, except maybe for that part of it. Um, he plays like Gogarty, the uh, sort of yeah. the housekeeper, and he's constant. His whole bit is like, I'm getting drunk, and then I'm thinking I'm hallucinating well, he, when I see like these the tigers guy, running around. He's right. not the housekeeper. He's like the groundskeeper guy, right? He's like the, the stable dude. He's in the yes. stables and the groundskeeper. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, like that joke of like if that was in every movie for 50 years where like drunk sees something crazy, <laughs> spaceship or a leopard, right. and then like pours looks out at the, the bottle liquid. and like yeah. pours it out or drops yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I kept waiting for Mr. Not just to do that. <laughs> he never kind of does that. Yeah. Um, Dennis Dugan, I was going to say maybe he's somebody who doesn't get, doesn't get used to his full capabilities. But as an actor, maybe he did get used to his full capabilities. He was great uh, on the Rockford Files. Yes. And what was the, his, he had his own spinoff show, right? Richie Brockelman. Richie yeah. Brockelman. And uh, Richie Brockelman, Private Eye. And then he's the star of Unidentified Flying Oddball, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Ah, Disney uh, movie. Own, that's that's one of his few leading roles. Okay, he did a, oh. he did a couple of Columbos too? I think didn't everyone? No, but he didn't. He was like a like a like a the disciple of Columbo. He was like another a detective who was following him around. I uh, oh, it's the same character because usually you know people are different characters. There's been a couple yeah. people who have a problem with me because I'm on Station 19, but I also did two episodes of Grey's Anatomy as a different character and it's the same universe. Right. And I'm like, don't watch Columbo because, you know, Ted Cassidy is like, a, you, know, a, you know, on every week as somebody else. <laughs> oh, not Ted Cassidy. Jack, Jack Cassidy. Jack Cassidy, yeah. Or who Shatner is on like 80 times. You know, it's always a different character. Uh, Melanie Griffith, who I think is great in this movie and is so great in all those like 70s things that she's in at the time, Night Moves and but I, I think she's got a bunch of. I mean, everything, every scene that she's in, she's she's great in this movie. I like when she introduces the girl who's the sights and sounds, the girl that plays the piano to Ebb Tide while showing her paintings. She gives that like half-assed like intro to it. Yeah, and then there's that when she's talking about Maria with the whole fake guacamole bit and all that stuff. There's this one actor. I think she's just only, only has one line in the movie. That actress that goes gross. Yeah, <laughs> me up. Yeah, Mel- Melanie Griffith's delivery in all those movies, it, if you're listening to it and you go, that's bad, and then you think about it and you know, that was really great. Yeah, it's like, it's it's just, she's just her, and she seems like a real person, you know? Yeah. And yeah. if she tries to go outside of that, it doesn't work, but if she stays in her line, she's, she's quite good. Yeah, and yeah. I think that she lost that later on in her career. Her After Body Double? Just sort of be herself. Well, she also changed her face pretty dramatically too. So, yeah. well, she got mauled by by her parents' lions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was long after that. <laughs> Scott, have you seen Roar? Oh yeah, I've seen Roar a few times. Yeah, I love it. You've I seen her get it. mauled. Yeah, you on see it. Screen. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, that is just a, that is a true, truly nerve wracking movie. Just just on edge. It's just like so... we would like when we did theater, whenever we had stage did stage combat, you know, fights had to be very meticulously worked out because a no one could get hurt. But you did not want the audience to even think for a second that it's not like a movie. Like, you know, it's like you, you, you don't want ever anyone to think that maybe something has gone wrong because maybe they could be harmed, too. And mm. that movie just completely disobeys all those rules and just like takes people out of the movie by just keeping them frightened for the actors who are in it. It's just draw dropping chutzpah for like, you know, yeah. an hour and 45 minutes. It's, it's yeah. incredible. You can't pay any attention to what the actual story <laughs> of the movie is. 
Right. Which is a good thing. Die. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and finally, as far as the cast, we need to say something about Annette O'Toole, who also maybe almost steals the movie. I love Annette O'Toole. I mean, she's great. Yeah, I so mean, great. Controversial. That's just a really <laughs> likable character, you know. Pat, you were saying earlier how Robin has, um, you know, some of the cynicism, and it's like Dar- Dar- Daria, Dor- it's Doria, right? Doria, yeah, Doria is like, she's like. She's very self-aware that, you know, what she's doing is what they, what the judges want. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but then she's, uh, you know, but, but I, but she's t- totally sincere and honest when she catches herself being cynical and says, you know, who is it? Is it bad to think that, you know, yeah. like, uh, say, say something about your dead father. Ooh, I'm, I'm, I didn't, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that, but yeah. You know. And and showing her underwear at the end, like she's that she, she seems pretty like lost and that, that it's like not an appropriate thing to be doing. She doesn't realize she seems pretty innocent about it, but yeah. she knows that it's bullshit, but she's, she's just become very good at playing the game. As you say, mm-hmm. like she knows what people want and how to give it to them. Yeah. yeah and then she seems, you know, not she just not not on the level of Big Bubba, just kind of sad there at the end when she watches Robin reunite with her mother and she doesn't have yeah. anyone there for her. And it's, well, there's it's, that it's a great moment, moment too where she loses, she realizes she's not going to win, and so she starts smoking in the car. And the, the guy, <laughs> the father says, "Like I thought we couldn't smoke in front of the girls," and the, and the the mother's like, "That's what the committee said." And it just it's it's sort of like a key scene too because it's about like. Uh, there's these kids kind of pretending to be adults in this sh- in this show, and the, but the adults are pretending to be adults too. They don't know anything. It's just like yeah. the, the, nobody knows what they're doing. You know that they're imitating people that that are imitating people that are you know nobody knows what, what really what they're doing, what it means to be an adult or a grown up. Um, they just mm-hmm. sort of do what they're told or what they think they're supposed to do. Yeah. Um, the seventies. This is a very 70s movie. But, you know, I was uh, watching The Candidate and Smile this week. I was also thinking, like, these these are also, like, uh, except for some of the technology, everything really feels like, yeah, this could be, they could have made this today. I felt the same way about the Bad News Bears. I mean, obviously, there's things that are, quote, problematic, unquote, but Mm. they don't feel dated at all to me. Um, in ways that other movies are, I think, because they don't go for things that are topical in the sense, you know, that they're things that are like much grander, larger ideas, you know, that that are still true. Um, so they're very much of their time, but they, they the, those movies have all aged very well. I but think. it also means means something different to you when you were a kid growing yep. up seeing it, and then you you remember that moment when you were watching it later like you know later on in your teens and you started to go wait a minute this is a great fucking movie you know and you realized it wasn't just about boogers and people calling each other names and stuff like that like there was really something going on with this movie i had that experience with them I and it's an 80s movie but i had that experience with fast times at ridgemont high where i have always loved that movie and found it fun and a teen boner movie but i watched it recently and i thought it totally hilarious but completely profound too like you know totally yeah. accurate about teenagers but also with a discerning adults you know view and, and empathy and sympathy for them as well like so some of those movies uh have gotten better i think with age 
because um, you know because I'm I'm older and a different person now too. Yeah, yeah, but it's uh, but especially with Fast Times at Richmond High, the adults at the time didn't seem to think there was anything worth a shit about no. that movie. You know, and I might not have thought that as a kid either. You know, I just like the you know I thought it was funny and there's boobs, but it is right. a truly great movie. Right, right. It's coming to Criterion. Yep. Oh yeah. And the sequel, sort of, a wildlife, wildlife, the wildlife. The I saw that. The, the wildlife. I saw that once and it did nothing for me. I went in the theater yeah. when it came out, but I, there's lots of people I know that swear by that movie. So well, maybe I'll have to revisit. It's it. out on Blu-ray now with an amazing commentary track by Mike McPadden and his publisher yeah, Ian. Yeah, he, he was one of the people that liked it. Yeah. Uh, any with final? The only score ever written by Eddie Van Halen. Yes. Yes. Any final, any final That's smile amazing. thoughts from anybody? I think we've, I think we've covered this movie pretty thoroughly. You, you liked it, Scott? I did. I, I, I really want to see it in a theater. And the rest of us I, too. We'd all. Like I it. wanted to talk about. I don't know if I realized this before, but for some reason, one of one of the, uh, either crackpot or seventies podcast that I did, the the song "Burning Bridges" from. Um, Kelly's Heroes came up, which is by the Mike Curb congregation, and that was like that. It only occurred to me, like watching it today, that that's the story of the girl with the wooden foot. She's a dancer for the Mike Curb congregation. Yeah, that's yeah. That, <laughs> that was one of that was one of uh, McPadden's favorite songs. Brian yes, Bridges. He, it he was. We we had it. talked about it. We talked about it on one of the one of the podcasts. Written so. by Lalo Schifrin. All right. So this movie premiered in New York in ni- in October of 1975 at the New York film festival and um when vincent canby reviewed it for the times because it was at the festival he said he they didn't know of any plans to actually release it in new york but i think it got released the very next week in new york so i don't know either they weren't telling canby or maybe they maybe the festival was trying to sell tickets it had a yeah. weird release schedule i know yeah. we talked about that it, it didn't it, it didn't was, do it, what they thought it was going to do so they kind of held on to it and sort of piecemeal released it but yeah, the New York Festival was in September or October, and it had actually played several markets around the country over the summer at that point and just hadn't done anything. And I want to say it, it even did play in New York even prior to the festival, but oh, really? it came and went mm-hmm. really fast. I could be wrong about that, but I, I can't remember. But then, yeah, it did play in New York and just never never really caught on, but you know, basically all through 75 and 76, you could find some city that was playing it somewhere. And uh, I guess it right. went. It was one of the first years of HBO, and then it, you know, and went to HBO really fast. Like it was on HBO by early '76. Maybe All that's right. where I saw it for the first time on HBO. But I want to play a quick game of what else was playing that week when Smile was yes. playing in New York because I have that's the Healy Brothers here, and they're they're good at this. They don't have to look or anything. So here's a movie. I'm going to read you the the a pull quote. And you tell me what you think this is. This was a pull quote review by somebody from NBC Radio, and she said, Once in a while you come across a jewel of a film that makes movie going worthwhile. This is one such film. What film is she talking about? This is October 75? Is that- October 17th, 1975. The Parallax View. <laughs> a jewel of a film. Parallax View is 74, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, so that's just a running gag on this show. A jewel. A jewel oh. Okay, is the jewel, is that, is that pertinent? No, there's nothing pertinent. Uh, it's Hester Street. Joan uh, uh, Hester Never saw it. It's very good. You know, I feel like I I'm, I feel like I must have it's seen it. It's a jewel. It. 
It's but quite a jewel. It's a gem, it's really. It's, it's not a jewel. Quite a jewel. Os- it's a gem. It's a jewel Osco. <laughs> um, here's a movie, and this is the tagline for this movie, a movie I've actually never heard of. Uh, here's, here's the tagline. That's sensual, the tortured, the obsessed. He is their ruler. Zardos. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Wait, the sensual, the tortured, the obsessed. He is he, their ruler. Yeah. The, and he, devil, I think, the, is Marcello Mastriani. Oh, oh is that... Um, the man who loved women? Uh, oh, no. It's a Fellini movie, right? It's no, not a movie, Fellini movie. The okay. City of Women is like 80. Yeah. Oh, okay, it's Marcello Mastriani. And Martha and, Keller's in it and Francois Fabian. I, I think this movie's lost to time. It's Jim, a, if Jim doesn't know it, I know, fun. right? Yeah, wow. <laughs> It's a Moro Bolognini film. Moro Bolognini. You know I had him? that last night. Yeah. Anybody know the director? Bring us some the more of that Bolognini sauce. Yeah. <laughs> it's called Bring Down. Some more of the name of this movie is Down the Ancient Stairs. Whoa. Jesus Christ. It's totally, totally drawn a blank. Could have played on a double feature with Behind the Green Door and Down the Ancient Stairs. Mm-hmm. Up the downstairs case. Oh, dead, right. Down yeah. to the sea and ships. Into the outdoor. Uh, uh, up the junction, down the sandbox. Uh, the Passenger was playing at selected theaters. That's a good one. Um, Jim Buckley and Al Goldstein present SOS. <laughs> uh, where's McPadden when we need him? God yeah. bless. You talk about that for an hour, probably. It's a, the, You know that the tagline for SOS is, the longer-lasting film leaves you satisfied months after. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> Here's a movie that I remember seeing ads for, A Pain in the A, or maybe it was called oh, yeah. A Pain in the Ass. That was the inspiration for uh, Billy Wilder's last film, Buddy Buddy, with uh, Lino Ventura and uh, is it um, Jacques Brel? Michelle Piccoli. This ad is so small, there's nobody, no cast listing, but I take Lino notes. Ventura, Jacques Brel. Jacques Brel is alive and well and, in uh, Paris. That's right. Well, well, well. All right, here's a movie that, I have, that I'm interested in hearing about, and I'll, tell, I'll read you some of the reviews. I don't think there's a tagline. Um, a funny movie about the early days of Hollywood, a real pleasure and a pleaser. Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon. No, but it seems like really close to that. Funny, jaunty, one of those happy-go-lucky pictures that just makes you oh, feel Oh, Hearts good. of the West? Hearts of the West. Wow. Nice. Jeff Bridges, Andy Griffith, Donald Pleasance, Blythe Danner, and Alan Arkin. In a Howard Zeef film. Scott, what Howard was this Zim. Howard Zeef movie that we were talking Slither. about? Oh, Slither. Slither. Uh, it wasn't Slither. Wasn't yeah, we were talking else. about Slither. I like we Slither were? with James Conn and, and Sally Kellerman. I, we, were talking about, we were talking about Slither, but then we looked up Howard Zeef and found out we knew a couple of his other movies. Which yeah, were House Slither. Calls, uh, oh, The Dream Calls. Team, yeah, Private yeah, yeah. Benjamin. Dream Private, Private, Team. Private Benjamin is his movie. Private Team, Benjamin. God. And the Unfaithfully Years remake. Right. What do you know uh, about Howard Zeef other than those titles, Jim? He was the main um, event. He was a commercial director. He there's did a, the Unfaithful Years remake. Did you say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he. There's a couple guys, a couple American guys who do commercials in the early '70s. You know, Chimino did some commercials too, but like Howard Zeef and there's this other guy named Stan Dragotti who did mm. Dirty Little Billy and then Love at First Bite and and Zeef. She's out of control. Dragotti, is that yeah, Stan Dragotti. <laughs> Uh, yes, that's right. Wait, is Mr. Mom is... Was Mr. That Mom is Dragoti. Yeah. 
and and there, well, there's one oh, other wow. there's one other big comedy guy who does you know like a, a a movie every couple years and came out of TV commercials in the in the seventies. But that's uh, that's his that was his that was his thing. But he you know he sustained a pretty good twenty year career. I'd say Zeef. Howard Zeef. He did both of the My Girl movies. That that's might right. have been what oh, we're talking right. about. Yeah. We talked about all of that stuff, Scott. I can't yeah. believe you don't you don't remember this. Now that I see that Slither is the movie with uh, James Caan. James Caan. Now I remember it. Right. And I thought Slither was the same as, I thought it was a snake movie. Yeah. It was well, a, there ba- is a movie bad title. Called, yeah. There's a movie called, movie. S- and there's another movie called Slithis from the 70s. Yeah. Too. That's yeah. got like a sea beast creature. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But then there's a Slither that's a horror movie from the 90s. Sliver, right, with Sharon Stone. No, 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 no Slither. Slither. That's James Gunn's Oh, yeah, movie. Slither. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's and right. then there's Sliver, and then there's Silver Streak. Oh, Sliver. <laughs> All right, here's a Sil- movie. What about Silver Bears? Silver nice. Bears. Down, Silver, Silver Bears, Nickels and Golden Dimes. Silver... <laughs> <laughs> right, we've had a lot of Howard Stern references. All your hair is the devil's chimes. Yeah. Uh, okay, here's a movie that I don't know anything about, but has an interesting cast, and uh, hopefully somebody does know. Here's one review, uh, one pull quote. Crisply entertaining film, exceptionally effective acting, rich in atmosphere, character, and satire. Um, I'll start reading the cast, and somebody maybe right. can jump on it. Uh, Michael York. Oh, Richard, is it uh, Conduct Unbecoming? Yes, Conduct Unbecoming. Ooh. Nice. Is that a done. Michael Winner Damn. movie? He named uh, that movie Michael in one Michael actor. Anderson. Oh, Michael yeah, I can Anderson. do that. You tell me the actor in the year. I'm pretty... Good directors too. I'm even better. But some of those actors are like Michael York was in like ten. Yeah, I know. Michael York should so. not have given it away, and I didn't even get to Richard Attenborough. <laughs> You're like, it's Elliot Gould. It's 1974. You're like, yes, yeah, right. there could be well, 20 different things. But it's also Scott Stacy Keach, <laughs> Christopher Plummer, and Susanna York. I mean, it's a cast. It's yeah. on uh, Prime right both, now. Oh, both yeah. Yorks. Is it any good? Has anyone seen Never it? Never seen it. It's the from the guy who directed Logan's Run the next year with Michael oh, York. With Michael I just York. saw a movie he directed. What was it? Mike Orca? Yes. Oh, God, Orca. Another good one. Yeah. Michael Anderson. Michael yeah. Anderson directed Orca? I guess yeah. I always think of it yeah. as Dino De Laurentiis because he produced it. But. Michael Anderson also did a, a pretty good George Siegel film spy movie from the 60s called The Quiller Memorandum with uh, Alec Guinness. That's and, one I need to see. That It's good. It's one of the George Siegel movies I haven't seen. Well, All right. You got any more, Ben? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Give us some more. oh, do I? This is the best starring vehicle Bronson's ever had. His his presence, oh, is Mr. Fun. Majestic. No, Breakout seventy five or oh, Breakheart Pass. Nope. Telephone. The fight sequences are crunchy. Oh, hard times. Oh, hard times. Hard oh. times. He had like three movies in seventy five, three or four. He was giant. Maybe the number one, one of the top five box office stars of after after Death Wish in seventy four. It's just like game on for Bronson. Hard times. Directed by good. Walter Hill. Screenplay yeah. by Walter James Hill. James Coburn. Struther that is Walter Martin. Hill's... Uh, Struther Martin first. is in it. Is that Walter Hill's first movie? Yeah, first director? feature yeah. as a director, okay. yeah. And then The Driver is the next one. Yeah. How is it? Is great. it good? I've never seen oh, it. Oh, Hard yeah. Times is really Hard times good. Is great, yeah. Hard Times is good. Ben, if we can get our theater going, we'll have a Bronson series this year, I promise you. All right. Scott, did you ever see this movie that was playing in New York in quadraphonic sound? Yes, in a film concert. Yes, songs. Oh, oh yeah. Yes, songs. just talking about this movie uh, the other day. You were? Is it, uh, yeah. is it good? Does it have? It's it it's yes songs. You know they play Heart of the Sunrise and all the good stuff. It's terrific. 
Is it? Last... Does it have visual interest? Like, I remember that the other thing that got played a lot was the Pink Floyd at Pompeii. Like, you could you see those VHS cassettes were always next to each other and stored. Right. Yes, songs. Right. I can't remember if there was like those like cartoony type of things going on that from their record covers or not. Uh. But it, it it was live. I mean, it wasn't in the middle of nowhere like Pompeii or anything like that. Okay. Last summer, I watched a ton of those, like Wings and Rock Show and Song Remains the Same. And I I love... I, I saw love that movies. Wings Rock Especially Show Especially if in, I have an theaters. edible. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I, I got wore this... these giant headphones, these same ones, and like had an edible and drank a bunch of Miller Lights last summer when nothing was going on. Watched that <laughs> one night. So good. You're like, I can't watch song after song after song. Jesus Christ, every single one of these songs is a hit. Yeah. Scott, how do you feel about Song Remains the Same? I love it. Yeah. And, you know, for years everyone said how bad it was, and I don't get it, you know. I mean, Just no matter what you Bonham think of it. the sequence alone. Well, I mean, <laughs> no matter what you think, Jimmy Page is on fire the entire time. Yeah. Just a motherfucker. And I like that Robert Plant, like, he has his shirt off, and it's not that he has a bad body, but by today's standards, mm-hmm. it's not buff. He's just kind of got a little bit of a belly. Right, right, right. He's a little soft. Yeah. I mean, he's thin, but he's not, he's soft. Right. As a kid, we thought he was a lot fatter than he is, and now I watch it, I go, oh, he looks fine. Yeah. Well, 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 <laughs> shut like up. Shut up, little kids. He looks <laughs> yeah. great. The Vixens were exploding all over New York that week in Russ Meyer's mm-hmm. Super Vixens. Anyone ever see nice. that one? It's I'm not good. that, that it, familiar with the Russ Meyer, except uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. You know, there was a they they actually his company put them out on VHS, and then they took those same transfers and they put them all onto DVDs. And Netflix nice. wouldn't carry them, but there was a company that gave was trying to give Netflix a run for their money for a short time called Green Scene. Oh, yeah, uh, and you were sending, and I I subscribed to them for like two years, and I got all the Russ Meyer films, and I was able to see them the transfers weren't great but you know i uh i would say of the of the pre um the first vixen is very good like one of his very best films and of all the films before that all the black and white uh quickies uh, lorna's the best it's my mm. favorite and then after beyond the valley of the dolls which i think is a masterpiece i think the next best one is super vixens uh which is mm. really good Beneath the Valley of the Ultra Vixens is just out there. It's like an avant-garde film. I mean, it's just so weird. Yeah. Uh, so, so bizarre. Um, but worth seeing. And Cherry, Harry, and Raquel has a weird feel to it. And I think I read, like, that one was like, he shot that film and then lo- lo- cut cut the whole thing together and then lost the the assembled camera negative. Uh, and they ended up like the the actual movie is actually uh, outtakes and second takes of scenes like they weren't the God. best takes and oh, right, man. but you know some people really like that film. Uh, um, Faster Pussycat's also really good too. Uh, I remember driving by the Kino in uh, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and they were playing Beneath the Valley of the Ultra Vixens and just breaking my neck trying to get a <laughs> glimpse of what was going on. A glimpse of Kitten Natividad. Yeah, yeah. All right, Jim, I'm going to rattle off the supporting cast of this movie and see okay. if you can get it. All right. Because anything else would be too easy. Richard Jordan. Uh, Anthony 75? Zerby. Huh? Oh, so, I know what that is. Okay. Go ahead, Pat. You can guess. Yeah, you do it, Pat. 
Wait, Richard Jordan and Anthony Zerbe. Yeah. I love I love Richard Jordan. Richard Jordan. Oh, it's I the Yakuza. No, it's not the Zebra. It's not the Yakuza. Ice Station no. Zebra? What's It's, right, not, me, it's not the Friends of Eddie Coyle. Give us one more name. John McIntyre. Hmm. Paul Coslow. Hmm. Richard oh, Ro- Richard Romancito. It's not the Omega Man. Tommy Lee and Struther Martin again that motherfucker Struther oh, Martin. Oh. Not Snow. Uh is it a Western? I know. I just saw this movie because Richard Jordan is one of those people that he, every time he shows up, I'm like so excited. He's always great. Another man that sadly died young. You don't feel that way about Tony Zerbe? I love that. Oh, man. absolutely. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. The ice is going to break. <laughs> Wait, yes. Richard Jordan you, and Anthony <laughs> Zerbe. I feel like I just watched this movie, whatever the hell it is. I've seen... I've seen the Yakuza recently. I've seen written, the Eddie screenplay Clark. is written by Martin Julian. It's not Logan's Run. No. no. The music is by Lawrence Rosenthal, produced by oh. Hal B. Wallace. <laughs> I just watched the Lawrence. Oh, Rosenthal. it is a western. It's Rooster Cogburn. It's Rooster Cogburn and the Lady. And the Lady. And the Lady. But when you actually see the film, it doesn't say "and the Lady." On the oh, I never. I, I remember seeing parts of that on television when I was a kid. Yeah, that totally. I can't remember not, anything about it. Not not too good. Uh-oh. It's like, you know, it, you, you, you're hoping for a sequel to True Grit, and it's just a remake of The African Queen. Oh. False false grit. Shame. Yeah. It's not just good. plain grit. <laughs> it's, that, it's that magazine that you, that, you, that you sell on the back of comic books to get hamburgers and soft drinks with your friends. Grit. grit. Now, here's a, here's a movie. Clean the I, grit out. I, 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 maybe I'm the idiot. I've never seen this poster or this ad. I've never seen this tagline, but I'll, I'll probably say it and you guys will be like, yeah, of course. In the middle of a robbery, mama comes to help. Mama comes to help? Crazy mama? Oh, good. I'm glad I'm not alone in the dark. Jonathan Demi's movie? Oh. Bank shot? Mama no, wait comes- a second. Mama comes to help? In the middle of a robbery, mama comes to help. And then it says, mama comes to help? And then, there, I, sh- I should say there's a little more to the tagline, because then at the bottom of the poster it says, that's one of the bizarre things that's got all New York talking about, dot, dot, dot. Is it Norman, is that you? No. <laughs> I'm so glad this wasn't the official thing that everyone knows. This is an ad for Dog Day Afternoon. No, oh, mama does come mama to help. Mama comes to help. That's a very New York kind of targeted ad, eh? I guess so, yeah. Maybe one of the most New York movies ever. If not the most New York movie ever. Well, that would be Boardwalk, but yeah, you're close. <laughs> That's the Salt most your house. <laughs> I saw Sweet Smell of Success for its era. Um, no. Judith Molina as Mama. All right, I'll give you two out of four of the stars of this next one. Uh, Alan Bates and Oliver Reed. Oh, it's the four must. No, it's Royal Flash. Royal Flash. Royal Flash. Flash. Nicely done. Uh, we do, Jim. Were you telling me you saw that not too long ago? And it was just recently, good? yeah. Okay. Just the, I got the Blu-ray and and watched it. Yeah, it's good. It's not as good as the Musketeer movies, and um, hmm. it's kind of strange because it it has this context. You know, the the Flashman novels are all about the villain of. The novel Tom Brown's School Days, who's the who's the who's a, a a bully and a cad, like the most loathsome villain. And so George MacDonald Frazier, whatever, a hundred years later, took the character and wrote these 
satirical novels that put this bully through all these periods of 19th century history. And so uh, Royal Flash is the second novel, and he you know, he meets Lola Montez, and uh, uh, the you know it's, it takes place in Austria, and uh, 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 I think uh, Oliver Reed plays Otto von Bismarck, and so it's it's you know it's it, working him through history, and then it's the these Richard Lester slapstick uh, slash swashbuckling kind of sequences i love those i love those musketeers movies so much yeah me too i loved them when i was a kid i haven't seen them in a long time Uh, they're very good and this yeah i mean it's one movie i think lester said he didn't he didn't know they were breaking it up into two movies until he went to the premiere of the three musketeers and but you know they it's not like the they're both two hours aren't they yeah they're like an hour and 45 they don't feel padded they're nice. Think. They're nice. You know, they work nice as individual movies. It's yeah. nice to see them both. But yeah. you know, but it's you got to see them both because the second one, the ending of the second one, has a series of great devastating. That, yeah, that stuff with Faye Dunaway and yeah, it's one of the original. It was like yeah, it was it was another blow to my young psyche uh, seeing all these movies with unhappy <laughs> endings. The uh, Royal Flash is one of the few well, seventy movies that's not a bummer. You know. <laughs> The one that was crazy to me, you were talking about Dirty Mary and Crazy Larry. It's just like oh. the whole movie is basically Smokey and the Bandit, and then two seconds yeah. before it's right. over, they drive yeah. through the train. It's like, well, I guess we got to do this. It's the 70s. Yeah. And then there's this thing called Cooley High, where the whole thing is sort of black American graffiti, and then all of a sudden, Lawrence Hilton Jacobs takes a takes a beating that he never recovers from. Yeah. Terrible situation. It's yeah. <laughs> what the audiences wanted. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. a glorious time. Yeah. All right, here's another. Here's one more. We're, Mama we're, comes to help. <laughs> we're, we're wrapping up here. Uh, the thriller by which all others are compared, and this is like a return engagement. Oh, re-release. Psycho. Not Jaws. Nope. Nope. It's a re-release. Mm-hmm. It's not Psycho. North by Northwest. The Exorcist. Thank you, Scott Lucas. All Look right, at Scott. Scott. I was about to say French Connection. I'm still reeling over here because when I said the most New York movie ever, I said Assault on Precinct 13, and I meant to say <laughs> Taking a Pelham 123. Uh, so I'm over here in my head. So I'm None back. of us heard you. You, you. I wish you hadn't repeated that. You could have gotten away with the whole thing. I, would have I heard no. you, but it, that didn't even occur to me. It's like, Somebody would have said, what, what the fuck's wrong with that guy? Hmm. Jim, did you that hear that uh, Scott also saw John Carpenter on tour? Yeah, I did hear that. What a great show, huh? It was a great show. Yeah, we saw him in Milwaukee. It was that was fantastic. All right, th- I got to talk about these last two that I'm looking at here. This one says, okay. this is a special ad and says, due to the unprecedented demand, Lowe's State number 2 will again be running this movie all night long. Feature times for today and Saturday will be 10:30 a.m., 12:30 a.m., 1.30 a.m. Jaws? 2.30 a.m. No. It's not enough enough time to squeeze in earthquake. Well, they must be playing in two theaters because they're saying 1.30 a.m. and 2.30 and 12.30. It's only an hour between each showing. So they must, it must be both theaters at Lowe's State. It must be be Lowe's State 1 and 2. Yeah, and they wouldn't take breaks. Airport 75. It's not a, a towering inferno? It's not a movie that I would ever think there was unprecedented demand for. And 
This this ad even has a picture nest. of it looks like a crowd of people outside the theater. Like they literally took a picture of what was Tommy? going on there. Mm-mm. All right, Ooh. you gonna you gonna give us the give us the uh, support? Let me give you the give a random actor. Uh, I, you know what? They don't even have. I, <laughs> I wish I remembered who's in this movie. The Slipper and the Rose. <laughs> it's a Paramount picture. Seventy-five PG. Paramount. Oh, Day of the Locust. <laughs> no, you ready? Marathon Man. Mahogany. Oh yeah, well, eh, that was a big. I, hit. It. I mean, I don't know if it was a big hit, but it. The record it was that weekend huge. in New York. It probably launched. That's Played a fun night. That's a fun campy movie. I I like, I like Mahogany. Does Barry Gordy took it over from who? John Barry or, or Sidney Fury? Sid Fury, yeah, maybe. All right, I, I got to ask you about this one because I don't know it, but this is some ad. Uh, this is the most important film event of the year. Oh, earthquake! Scared far. It's a foreign film. Oh, oh, and it. Cry, cry it's it's. I'm, I'm sorry. It's rated X. Oh. But it's playing at the fine arts. It's one of those. Not in service. In the realm of the senses. Now, a film by Jean-Francois Davy. Oh. Oh, is it Exhibition? Yes, Exhibition. Yeah, with... Fuck. Which is a documentary that follows around a French porn star. Uh, it gets a it gets a couple paragraphs in uh, Danny Perry's Guide for the Film Fanatic. Sounds important. Yeah, what's what was her name? Claudine something was the Cardinal. <laughs> no, she was she was a hardcore actress, and I mean that. Mm. Hey, I want to ask sense. you about this other movie because I don't know it by this title. Um, I'm not sure. What, oh, there's two movies I need to ask. I'm so sorry. I'm keeping you all so long. But I mean, Pat, you're stuck in Oklahoma. What do you? You got nothing to do. What are you gonna do? Hang I, out with De Niro I, I and just, DiCaprio? I just, For God's yeah. sakes! I just looked over and saw that I did bring my Beyond the Valley of the Dolls Blu-ray here with me. Oh wow! Smart and move. and my Orca because I I need to listen to the commentary. <laughs> Who's doing the commentary got, on Orca? I'm gonna be here for like five months, so like I've got. Uh, I who is it? Uh, I don't know. It's one of those guys at the the Shout Factory once. I can't remember who it is. Scott, are you so playing? I brought, like, are you playing Oklahoma like I, in the next five months? I hope so. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to have a lot of time off because I'm here right now because of rain cover, because it rains a lot this time of year. And so they need to be able to go inside and shoot some stuff. And I mean, a lot of stuff that's on later in the movie that's indoors. So uh, I'm going to be here <laughs> sitting around a lot, I think. For Scott, a you, you might want to schedule a drive-in show for... I mean, nobody can fucking, you know, I, until COVID, you know, opens up right, or whatever right. changes, nobody can go anywhere or do anything. So it's kind of odd because like, you know, the post was such a great hang, you know, we just like, you know, went to Tom Hanks's house and then we all had a dinner out together and it's now it's like nobody's like even been able to meet each other. Huh. So uh, it's interesting, but we'll see what happens. I just yeah. got here and, and my quarantine, my 48 hour quarantine, even though I'm already vaccinated just ended today or it's like i couldn't do anything except get tested you know and walk around the walmart with my mask on and i'm the only one in there with a mask on yeah and everyone's looking at you like you're an asshole yeah yeah right. i think we're playing oklahoma city at some point I, I that's a little farther but oklahoma city's nice yeah. we're closer to the toll i'm about 45 minutes from tulsa 
Cause I was only 45 minutes from Tulsa. Gene Pitney. Look up Essie Hinton. Yep. He's there. One of my best friends is from there, and he's actually just moved back there temporarily now. Josh Fadum. So I'm going to go see Josh. I think you can still go. Can can you still go into the outsider's house and... Yeah, it was it's it was bought by somebody turned it into a museum. I can't remember who, some famous person. Uh Reese Witherspoon, I believe. Somebody no. bought it and turned it into a it's not an actor. It's uh I can't remember. It's some rich person, but I don't, I don't know. Did you just say no when I said Reese? Uh, no, I said I don't know. I, <laughs> no, I, I know. I, I'm talking to Scott. He had a, he let out a groan. No. Yeah. <laughs> Salt no, Precinct 13. Yeah, outside. No, I remember I remember when that happened and and somebody that we knew they're like, "Yeah, you guys can come and check it out." And I completely got loaded that night and slept through it the next day. So, I fucked up. Story of your life. Yeah. Look at that rock star over there in the bathroom hanging out. Um, yeah. I don't know how to pitch this this ad to you, but it's the most admired and best liked film at Con at Cannes this year. Uh, the film will surely signal the director's breakthrough from cult favorite to universally recognized master filmmaker. In this adapt- of the cuckoo's nest. Nope. In this adaptation God of damn. blank, about the oh, I can't I can't even say anymore. But I don't know this movie by this name. But maybe I'm just blanking out. Uh, but it's a it's a it's a Werner Herzog movie. Oh. Uh- Oh, God. Every man for himself and God against all. Right. Yeah. Did that get renamed as the mystery of Casper Hauser? Yeah, I think for the so DVD, VHS, Blu-ray releases, they've just translated the. No, that's not true. I think like I think the original German title translates as "Every Man for Himself and God Against All," but for some reason, yeah, it's maybe in some other English-speaking markets they called it. The mystery of Casper Hauser, or the enigma of Casper Hauser, and the, the guy that owns the that that bought the Outsider's house is Danny Boy from House of Pain. Somebody, uh, somebody just told God. me this the other day, but I had forgotten, and that's why. Danny uh, Boy from House of Pain wasn't he in that Salil Moonfry documentary that came out? <laughs> I don't know. And I think there's a scene where he's hanging out there. I think DiCaprio's in that, right? So. The Moonfry movie? Yeah, isn't he? Wasn't he one of the kids she hung out with? Or am I... I think he was, but I don't know if he's in it. There's just like photos of him or something. Probably. Uh, maybe he... I'll ask him. Yeah. Here's a movie that somehow escaped me, and I'm... people must have talked to me about this over the last year, but I don't know. Uh, the tagline is, he fought like an army and lived like a legend. The Last Warrior. <laughs> the Oberinner. And then underneath the title it says Lavish Spectacular Epic of The early, Wind and the Lion. Of early California. No. Oh. Lavish Spectacular Epic of Early California. Return of the Man Called Horse. No. Early California. But you're not that far off there, Scott Lucas. The Man Called Horse. The Great Waldo Pepper. Bite the Bullet. No. I. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it was held over a third big week. Um, if I told you the executive producer, that would probably do it. If I told you the director, that might do it. Although the director would probably yeah, just give us the director. 
Okay, the director is Frank Laughlin. Oh, the Master Billy Gunfighter. Jack. Master Gunfighter. Damn it. Man, that was a bum week for movies. I don't was know, that the only nice. Tom Laughlin non-Billy Jack movie after Billy Jack yes. kicked in? Yes. Oh. And it's I think it's between Trial and Goes to Washington. Oh, Executive Christ, produced right. by Dolores Taylor, but it doesn't have her in the cast, at least not in this ad. No, Ron O'Neill, Superfly O'Neill is in there. Yeah, Ron O'Neill and Lincoln Kilpatrick. Yeah. And Barbara third, Carrera. Third smash week, he probably four-walled it. I think he always four-walled all Well, and right? yeah, until Billy Jack. Oh, yeah, I guess Billy Jack was Warner's. Billy Jack and was, then he's, too. And then he brought it, bought it back from Warner's, right? And but it was, I think it was originally released independently, and then Warner's bought it and put it out, and mm-hmm. then maybe he bought it back or something, yeah. something weird like that. Um, have you seen Master Gunfighter? Uh, I need to. I've never seen it. I didn't even know about it. It was streaming yeah, for a you, while, thank too. Thank you, Pat. And, yeah, no, I didn't. And I love Billy Jack. Pretty sure it's in the Golden Turkey Awards. Hmm, I don't even remember that. Blanked it out. Scott, you had you had a funny line that you delivered to Tom Laughlin on an old on another episode of the thing you said something about the middle section did. of your film is turgid and boring. <laughs> about um, Billy Jack, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty true. That's, that's yeah, I'm pretty moments. out of my depth there. The moments 1975. in it that are great are so great, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah, you I mean, wait for those things. I've seen it like. Nine times, but yeah, yeah. Tell you what, tell you what I'll do. I'm gonna put this side of my foot on that side of your head. Really? The damn thing you can do about it. Really? Really? I keep wanting. And of course, to... the ice cream parlor. When I see what you've done to this child, so beautiful, we call it God's God's get the sunshine. Get the sunshine. Just makes me go berserk. <laughs> uh, I keep wanting to end the episode, but there's so many interesting movies that were playing that. Yeah, this is the never, seen. the never-ending episode. Of... No, go back in time to '75. We'd never come back. Okay, so here's the last one, and I'm, it's an easy one, I guess. It out Tommy's Tommy. Listomania. Listomania. Yeah, how is Listomania? I disagree. It sucks. It does not out Tommy Tommy at all. Scott. Some. I've never seen it. I'm out of my goddamn depth here, man. I can't get into it. I I don't don't think I've I've never been able to get through it. And I love like those Ken Russell movies from that. I've heard it's bad. I've heard it's really bad. Really bad. And really like rushed, you know, like they just just let's capitalize on this, yeah. Who plays Franz? Roger Roger Daltrey. Daltrey. Oh really? Yeah. And Keith Moon is in it too, isn't he? Yeah. Or is Ringo in it? Ringo's in it. And but Ringo. you know who else is in it? Rick Wakeman. Right. Oh, Rick, Rick Wakeman. Wakeman. Right. Fiona Lewis. Long distance. <laughs> yeah. Paul Nicholas, Sarah Kestelman. Sarah Music Kestelman. by from Rick Zardos. Wakeman as well. Oh, that's the who, from Zardos, the guy, the uh, like. Uh... Sarah Kestelman is. In oh, Zardos. Sarah Kestelman. Yeah, oh, she's okay. she's the. Uh, She's the other woman who's not uh, Charlotte Rampling. I was thinking he was a guy. It was like the poor man's David Hemmings in uh, Zardoz. I love that guy. The guy that ages. Jack oh, Kroll, yeah. in his pull quote, uses a word that I'm not familiar with. Jack Kroll from Newsweek. <laughs> <laughs> he Jack says Kroll the film Newsweek. is a nonstop skirt, skirtzo, skirzo. 
S C H E R Z O. Scherzo. It's a musical. Scherzo. Right? Oh, it's a musical thing. Got it. Scott, have you written a Scherzo about Listomania? I've got a Scherzo Phrenic. Did he say that about Litzomania, Jack Kroll? Yeah, yeah. He He was both Scherzo when he wrote that. Yeah. (laughs) He says, themes collide in a mad discord of ideas and images. Russell's gimmicks may be crazily burlesque, but they burlesque historical truth. Listomania is perhaps his craziest and funniest. It adds up to a freaked out charade, a pop exorcism of Russell's own romantic demon. And then it says, I don't know. I'm just really high right now. But well, one thing we got to say about Jack Kroll, he was the only critic who gave a good enough review for a pull quote for uh, Sorcerer two years later. Mm. What he, was that? Uh, he just raved about it. I, I oh. forget what the pull quote was, but uh, I remember it being on the poster. But it was on yeah. the poster, and it, you know, and he In was one of font. one of the only critics who liked that film at the time. Yeah, there were some others, right? Yeah, there probably were a few. But well, gentlemen. Uh, if this doesn't earn us some Blu-rays, I don't know what will. But <laughs> this has been a wonderful episode of 70 movies we saw in the 70s. Pat, Wait, how long was this movie? No, uh, hour and 53 minutes. We're talking, yeah, we're talking we're, about Michael Ritchie's Two hours. We're a good and, hour over. Wait, we started at 8, I thought. It's it was closer to 8.30 there. by the time Pat Healy got his uh, audio together. So let's so get to, okay. My, my anyway. audio is now at 2.34. So yeah, mine too. Well, I don't know. Yeah, you're gonna have to do some cutting on this. I have to cut pee away like I'm like a bad. Like Dude, a we bad could do man. a two part episode. So does my dog. My dog is not. Well, happy. if we if it does rain and we get these um, scenes, these cover scenes shot early, then I'm gonna have a lot of time off, and then I'm gonna come see you boys. So okay, I'm just you know you won't be able to get rid of me. But both of you come back anytime. It's been a pleasure having some guests back on the show. I know yeah. Scott was thrilled. I, I I was. You guys made nice. me feel like an idiot, but you were great. Oh, stop, oh. stop it. Like you also look like our friend Dave Carlson that we used to work. Yeah, he's like Paul with. and Dave Carlson, like mixed yeah. together. Sorry, I keep telling you you look like people. No, no, no watch I've this. seen you before. Now who do? Oh, I look like? now you look like Paul. Okay, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Well, thanks everybody. Let's, and it's Pat, I'm you know, I don't know. Are we try rolling to, yet? Try to have some fun out there. Yeah. I will. Yeah, man. Do my best. Congratulations. Thank you. It's exciting stuff. Very exciting stuff. Smile Though your heart Is aching Smile Even though It's breaking When there are Clouds In the sky You'll get by If you smile Through your fear sorrow smile and maybe tomorrow you'll see the sun come shining through for you light up your face with gladness hide every trace of sadness although a tear may be ever so near that's the time you must keep on trying smile what's the use 
of crying You'll find that life is still worthwhile If you'll just smile Oh. 